Time, bitches. Only four more weeks till Bazoween. The biological clock is ticking. Be in front of your podcast listening devices for the sexy horrorthon, and remember the big fingering at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your regulation podcast under the stairs crotchless undergarments. The biological clock is ticking. It's almost time to get fingered. podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 156. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. On episode 156 we continue our look. This is the penultimate episode in our Summer Teapots Top 10 series looking at the decade known as the 80s. Up this week is 1988 and I'll be joined by the fantastic Mark Ball and Ricky Morgan to look at some pretty amazing and less awesome content as we count down the top 10 movies we selected from this year, bringing it down to two movies to carry forward to the rim table, creating the ultimate top 10 list of 80s decade movies using our Noah's Ark rules. So, how are we all doing? That's right, we crushed a five episode week over, dear God. 12 hours of podcast content got released in our anniversary week. I'm, I feel like I'm shortchanging you, dropping it back to three shows, but trust me, it's the best for everyone. I put out so much content last week that I think people are struggling to catch up with, and I don't want that. I want people to catch up in a nice, orderly fashion with the content on podcasts under the stairs. So we're dropping it back to three episodes this week. This episode, obviously dropping on Monday. On Thursday, we announced the title for Movie Club, as part of Challenge Teapot's September 
2018. And then on Sunday, 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 it is the next instalment, the 88 Films Italian Collection Series. So yeah, lots of stuff. I just want to thank everyone once again for all the kind words and all the support. Celebrating our five-year anniversary of podcasts under the stairs. You guys kick so much ass, all about kicking that ass. And obviously, Baz has now announced his titles, his five movies, as part of Bazoween in October. For those that didn't know, uh, the Baz is... um, He's kind of set the agenda this October. One movie per episode, five episodes in October, dubbed Bazoween. Uh, the Baz will be facing down against a little bit of people under the stairs. We'll be taking a look at Poltergeist. We'll be swinging his attention to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer before visiting Salem's Lot and closing it all out with the mighty Suspiria. So yeah, if you have not got those movies, get those movies sourced ahead of those shows. We're going to try and make it a bit more interactive. We're going to put out reminders for you guys to start submitting some feedback which we will feed into our recordings as and when they're done for going out in October. So yeah, loads of stuff happening. Hope you're all having fun. Hope you're all enjoying it. Hope you're looking forward to kicking off October in style. Oh, so much style coming your way. But before we get to October, it's time to kick off this shindig. This 1988 episode, I'm going to drop out. You're going to hear the intro music for our summer Teapot's Top 10 series. When I return, I'll be joined by my two fantastic guests, Mark Ball and Ricky Morgan. All that and more coming right up right after this. 11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. What do you think this is all about? You think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. This is a fucking war! The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. This is God. Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! The missiles are flying. Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! Don't you know who I am? The missiles are flying. The ice is gonna break! Good news is your dates are here. Bad news. They're dead. 
Welcome back. So, our second last year in this Teapots Summer Top 10 series, looking at the decade known as the 80s. This is 1988. Now, we have had some heavy, heavy years come and go already. Some of them have been very much the way you would expect them to go. Some have been more controversial, because we do try to cultivate a bit of controversy on podcasts under the stairs. Some have been heated, some have been amicable. I don't know where 1988 fits in in any of these. All I know is I'm joined by two fantastic individuals who will help me discuss 10 choice cuts from 1988. Allow me to introduce you to my two guests on this episode. First up, he is a former colleague of mine over at the Midnight Horror Show. He also has the Fancy and Friends podcast, which is on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. But that does not stop him being a very, very busy man. You've already heard him speak just a couple of episodes ago, but he's back. Back in black. That's right. Back in black! Um, <laughs> here. So fuck Get it out! The bullet in his beard! <laughs> Um, It is of course the fantastic Mark Ball. How you doing Mark? Not too bad. It's 10 o'clock in the morning and we're going to party like it's 1988. There you go. There we are. That's that's how we do it over here on Podcasts Under the Stairs. (laughs) Early and apparently years ago. So there we are. That's, that's a, a wicked combination. Uh, Mark, you're joining us for the second and final time. Um, I will ask you just before we swing to our second guest, this year more difficult or easier than the previous year you did? Ooh, that's a, that's a very good question. I think, I think there's more quality titles on this one than 82, honestly. I, I think narrowing this down to two is going to be harder on this one than it was the other one, because there's a couple of these that I really, really, really fucking like, and a lot of them that I think are really important to the decade. So mm-hmm. I, I think this is going to be tricky. Yeah, I think you are right. I think you are right, and I think the listeners will only receive maximum entertainment from it. So our, our pain is their pleasure. So... Uh, that's how they roll. Um, and my next guest, um, also featured fairly recently in the back end, uh, was I believe it is six, but I might be wrong about that now that I've said it. Um, can't remember. Can't remember. Eighty-five. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. Um, he is one of the crew over at the Hail Ming Power Hour. He also has Short Bus Cinema. He has House of Wax. He announced on the previous recording, I believe, maybe, uh, his new show, which will well be underway by the time this episode comes out, because this one here ain't coming out till September, and we're recording it in July, so that speaks volumes. It's Under My Wheels, a podcast where you can listen to that host in his morning commute, talking about all things punk, rock, horror, and everything in between. Um, Entertainment, I would say, an entertainment show. Uh, live from Ricky's car. Uh, is of course a fantastic Ricky Morgan. How are you doing, sir? 
I am fantastic, man. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, we were doing all the ACDC stuff, and I forgot to go, ooh, I'm looking for a truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, this, this year is, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the list that, of the ones we picked, and I'm going back through and I'm looking at the ones we didn't pick, and what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah. Well, a that's, couple for sure. Yeah. The, 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 this, is, this brings up the, the first question. In hindsight... Uh, now, looking at the list of movies, bad. So, for those that are checking out podcasts under the stairs for the first time, you may not know what you've stumbled into. I apologise, um, and it's too late to get out. The door shut. Um, 1988, uh, using the the Teapots Summer uh, Top Ten rules with the three guests, who saw us each pick five movies that we picked uh, as being the best within the decade. We then brought them together to create a super list of 15. Each guest host get to pick three movies, which could not be argued by anyone else. They were secure picks brought through, which made nine picks altogether. The last movie needed to be um, agreed by the, the three hosts, really, to make it through. Now, the list of 15 looked like Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Black Roses, and Killer Clowns from Outer Space, as well as Serpent in the Rainbow, Evil Dead Trap, Night of the Demons, Waxwork, and Monkey Shines. The five movies that did not make it on the list were Serpent in the Rainbow, Evil Dead Trap, Night of the Demons, Waxwork, and Monkey Shines. Ricky Morgan, since you raised it, I feel that we need to start with you. In hindsight, having watched all these movies, is there anything you would have replaced had you had power to do so? Dead Heat. No. <laughs> oh, dear God. Is that 88? Yeah. Man, we fucked we fuck that one up. <laughs> Treat uh... William Joe Biscopo. I mean, come on. Duncan's like, you're idiots. And, yeah, uh, Dead Heat's that that one of those ones that I see is a comedy with horror elements as opposed to a horror right, comedy. Right. And I and I think that's probably why we did what we did because when I'm looking back through these, these all have moments in them that really stand out. But are they solid films from beginning to end? The ones that we kind of cut out, maybe not compared to the ones that we did pick. So maybe yeah. we did do the right choice. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm yeah. not I'm not overly upset about this I, I i mean realistically and it's not a shot at mark uh slugs being on this list for amusement purposes alone <laughs> is kind of awesome because i kind of love that movie but serpent of the rainbow night of the demons and monkey right. shines are better in fact maybe even waxwork uh are better movies <laughs> evil dead trap in fact actually all five are <laughs> uh, that being said i'm i i'm overjoyed that i'm getting the the chance to talk about slugs um on this show because i've reviewed it before i've done a com i've done two commentaries one with yourself mark uh, and one by myself and it's a movie that i just it baffles my brain that it exists it's kind of amazing um so the fact it's in there doesn't offend me greatly and plus i think if any of those other ones had went in there i don't think any of those ones are top five material anyway so i can kind of live with it yeah kind of live with it Mark, what's your thoughts? Uh, there, there's another one which we'll get to that made it onto the top 10 list that I think we uh, <laughs> were out of our goddamn minds when we put it on there. <laughs> Especially going up against something like Night of the Demons or Serpent in the Rainbow. Yeah, we kind of fucked at least one of these up real good. 
Nice. But, well, for the most looks, part, I, I think we did pretty all right. The, re the rest of this list is stacked. Yeah. The, yeah. There's the rules, though. The rules were that each of us got to pick three that went through. So if you're saying that there's something in here that maybe should have went through in its stead, then you have to look, would I have sacrificed one of my movies to do that? That's what I'm that saying, because when we when we started this, I did my three, which was, you know, okay, there's these three, and then I just did, I don't know what y'all did. Mark went this. I always go last. I, I, I always go last, and as we found very, very quickly um, in recording these shows, Duncan's three last picks are part, he loves these movies, part I can't believe we didn't put this through and I'm waiting to third round to put this through and also part to infuriate the fuck out of everyone. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I really pitch my, myself for those arty ones right at the very end because I'm like that, yay, no one likes this movie but we're going to discuss it because I'm forcing the conversation. Uh, so yeah, you would have to sacrifice one of your own because each of us had three guaranteed locked in. So I yeah. think that's when it makes it difficult. If it was done like last year, which was I would pick five, Ricky would pick five. Then that's a bit, that's a bit easier, you know. What I mean, you can, and there was there was room for us to criticise each other's list. Uh, back then, it wasn't secure fives. I could have been like, Ricky, do you not think that? And Ricky would be like, Yeah, that movie should totally go through. Um, this year, it was very much blame the host. Um, I, I want to, I want to give like the the listeners a target they can vent their rage at. Um, so yeah, the the movies that did make it through, like I say, Phantasm Two, Pumpkinhead, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, the, the New Blood, uh, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellbound, Hellraiser Two, Black Roses, and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That are that they are the ones that went through. In terms of why the other ones didn't wait, make it through, we've kind of covered it. I will just say I recently reviewed Serpent in the Rainbow, and it didn't. It's not it's not aged well in my opinion. There's a there's a bit of lag in that movie. Evil Dead Trap's fun, but a bit too out there, and some of the effects are dodgy. Um, I don't love Night of the Demons as much as everyone in America does, which is weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess a lot of love that I think I think it's an alright movie, but I prefer some of the sequels actually. Sacrilege. Um, Waxworks is a great idea, and some of it's done really well. Some of it's not. Uh, and Monkey Shines, I feel that's the one that I would have maybe pitched for a bit harder because it's Romero and, and there is a couple of scenes in there that are creepy as fuck. Um, something like that crazy little monkey. Something about crazy <laughs> little monkey. Bo would have been all over that because Bo was all about their monkeys. Goddamn monkeys get off my lawn. Uh, He's going to be pissed when we cut his monkey movie. He will be pissed, but um, yeah, he will be actually. Yeah, at this stage, you know, Phenomena didn't make it through either, so ain't no monkey. Yeah. Ain't no monkey coming through, which is a bit of a shame. Greta, my Greta. <laughs> my Greta. Um, so yeah, that's that's my position on it. We're not going to spend any more time about this because we've got 10 movies to discuss with wildly different degrees of seriousness. I can't wait. Um, so we're going to take a break just now. When we return, it's Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Black Roses and Killer Clems from Outer Space. Myself, Mark Ball and Ricky Morgan coming back. 10 minute reviews right after this. Hello everyone, I'm Rick Morgan and I want to share with you a scientific breakthrough that can change your life. Many people struggle through life with personal imperfections, shameful actions and bad habits. So I'm here to tell you that there is a cure. 
All you have to do is subscribe to the House of Wax Classic Horror Podcast. I've been subscribed for only two months, and my results have been amazing. But don't take my word for it. Listen to these subscribers' success stories. I used to have pampered chef parties at my house and murder everyone that would show up. But after listening to the House of Wax, I don't even cook anymore. I used to have bad teeth, but since subscribing to House of Wax, I show my pearly whites wherever I go. I suffer with the need of bestiality. But since House of Wax, I don't suffer anymore. Huh? Oh, no, no, I still love the animals. I just don't feel as guilty with House of Wax playing in the background. So if you need a new horror show, then listen to the House of Wax podcast. It might just save your life. House of Wax is a proud member of Legion Podcast. And you can actually see this show on the new YouTube channel. Just look up House of Wax. And welcome back. So... 1988 will be represented by reviews of Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, Black Roses and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. As always, the person that picked the movie will lead the review, but we'll obviously spruce it up and get a bit funky with this uh, with this format. Some of these movies are just going to be an absolute delight to discuss. Um, and with that in mind, let's let's start off with probably the most fun movie on the list, um, hands down. Well, fun and goofy because the most fun movie on this list may have clowns in it. Um, the most fun and goofy movie, also the head scratcher, is of course. Um, a pick by Mark Ball, uh, which I'm applauding because it, it wouldn't have made mine, but I'm so glad it made yours. Uh, is of course Slugs. Ooh, that's right, I love this Slugs. <laughs> Ooh. I, I almost picked this movie just because I love talking about it, and if, if it's still online somewhere, that episode I did of um, mm-hmm. Food Chain is one of my favorite things I've ever done with uh, X and Cootie over there, but. Um, yeah, yeah. First of all, if if pieces get got on the eighty two list, then I don't see any reason why slugs can't be on this list because <laughs> well, they're yeah. they're equally entertaining. I actually think the production value in slugs is a fuck lot better than it is in pieces. Yes, um, then no one will argue that ever with you. But then then <laughs> then a, a, a ten second shot on my fucking iPhone of me taking a dump is better quality, better, better production quality <laughs> than the entire movie pieces. Don't get me wrong, I love me some pieces. Everyone knows how fucking insanely deep mm-hmm. my love for that movie runs. But yes, Slugs Slugs looks like Citizen Kane in comparison to pieces. Um, it looks like there was actually maybe a cinematographer that showed up, uh, which maybe gives it an <laughs> advantage. Definitely some makeup effects artists got paid on this one. It's it's really showed off some awesome goopy, wormy, exploding head type of shit. Like they, they, they have like every trick in the book in this almost as far as like how to make the slugs killing people not necessarily realistic, but cool, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really one of my few complaints about slugs. I mean, and like you got to over it's the same as pieces. You got to overlook some really terrible acting. Uh, some odd choices in soundtrack for sure. <laughs> when the cops are driving, that's my favorite. When it just all of a sudden becomes, I don't know, like like the, the hillbillies or whatever. Uh, like when they're driving, I don't understand. 
And it always stops just when they stop the car. Like some sort of weird <laughs> fucking uh, weird 70s sitcom. I understand right. it. Yeah, I, I got. I have a lot of time for slugs. This is one that like I, and the people don't talk about enough. I don't think because this is this is a real high up on the list of movies to like watch as a group with beer, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah, by but this this is the, the reason that well, I should say because I forgot. I totally forgot my duties as part of this show. Uh, the reason you're liking it so much to pieces is it's directed by the same guy, Juan Piquer Simon directed both of them. Uh, it's produced by uh, Jose Antonio Escravia uh, and Francesca Di Laurentiis, and Juan Piquer Simon, who also did the screenplay, along with Ron Gartman, based on the novel Slugs by Sean Hudson. Uh, the movie stars Michael Garfield and Kim Terry. The synopsis, we've covered it anyway, but it's killer slugs on the rampage in a rural community. That's a synopsis. Which isn't a synopsis, that's just a description of what happens, not in a synopsized <laughs> version. Killer slugs on the rampage in a rural... Sounds like what a news reporter would say just at the beginning of the broadcast. Killer slugs <laughs> on a rampage in a rural community coming up after 10, Deborah. You know what I mean? That's literally what it sounds like. Uh, what I'm wearing no pants. Number I'm... 11. <laughs> There's only one fact about this movie on IMDb, which tickled me. It says it was banned in the Australian state of Queensland until the early 90s when the Queensland Censor Board was disbanded. I love the fact that Queensland like, banned a movie about killer slugs coming from a nation which is full of fucking the most horrendous <laughs> insects and killer creatures on the planet. Slugs were too much for them. Well played, Australia. Well, in particular, Queensland. Uh, yeah, you're right. This movie is the ultimate let's have a ball movie. This is... It's, yeah. it's, poorly, it's poorly filmed. It's poorly acted. I'm using that poorly filmed in comparison to pieces it's well filmed but you know it's poorly acted um, some of the special effects are pretty cool the story is ludicrous um, <laughs> the soundtrack is is pretty awful some of the hairdos in this movie oofed some of the fashion in this movie oofed and that little restaurant that everyone goes for a drink is fucking awful like no one should be eating there um, that being said it's like the ultimate riff track movie, you know what I mean? It's the ultimate movie that you can sit down and just laugh at how absurd and how this movie exists. Uh, and it has a lot of charm that way because there are a lot of movies which are so bad they're good, quote unquote. Um, I think Slugs is not a great movie. I would never say it's a terrible movie, but the enjoyment level's off the chart. Like, it's, right. it's, just, it's just a fun fucking time. And if the only way we can alleviate ourselves from from like speaking about some some of the headier titles certainly on this list and some of the more genre staples is by throwing a curveball that is slugs in here i am 100 percent for it will it even <laughs> will it even be considered remotely um past maybe position number nine on the list no no it won't mark no no <laughs> but i'm okay with that. there's I, there's I, some heavy hitters coming up yeah am i just so excited that we're discussing it Yes, because I get to hand this across to Ricky Morgan. Ricky, run with slugs. Oh yeah, man! I mean, it's it's totally entertaining. It's kind of like the equivalent of driving down the road and seeing a real horrible car accident. You know you're not supposed to look at it, but you can't help but just keep your eyes on it. You can't pull your eyes off of it. So watching this thing, I'm like, yeah, this acting is terrible. Ooh, this music is terrible. 
this is fun though and <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just a weird combination i think it's a, a perfect you know get together and, and party kind of movie uh and that's the charm of it yeah some of the effects are pretty good in it and uh, again like i was talking about earlier with there's a ton of these movies that are moments you know, there's, yeah. there's, you know, do they stand out as a whole? Probably not. And I'd almost classify this one as the same way. Uh, but yeah, uh, to me, you should still kind of own a copy of this just to have it because there's nothing else like it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when the guy bends over and he puts his finger down down there by the slug and it <laughs> and it opens up its mouth, it's got the pointed <laughs> teeth and snaps at him. I mean, come on. Where else are you going to see that? So that that's the beauty of this film. It's it's a lot of fun. It is indeed. It is indeed. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I would lean into that. Not that it's because I'm wanting everyone to spend money on Arrow video content. But uh, yeah, they put out the Blu-ray <laughs> and that movie looks insanely good. Um, looks too good for a movie like Slugs. But I'm glad that right. it does exist in a Blu-ray format, which is available to all to buy. Um, so that, ladies and gents was slug see every breeze through that that was nice and easy mm-hmm. no issues there i like that that was good fun um <laughs> that, was good. that was a good one that was a good one um let's uh ooh, let's swing it around let's swing it around and fuck yeah let's do this one um so yeah quite a few of these movies have appeared in the the years running through thus far none of them have made it through uh, and this is the last attempt because ain't no way we're going to be arguing that Jason Takes Manhattan tops the list <laughs> of, of 1989 movies uh, which which brings us to Friday the 13th Part 7 The New Blood this is literally the last shot for a Friday the 13th movie to make one of these lists um, which just seems wrong it seems wrong because they made like four more after this that's why it seems weird it, yeah it seven yeah. I think yeah, but no, what I mean is like in, in our in our lists that we've been doing in the movies, like our countdowns, Friday the 13th has been well re- represented in every year and not one of them has went through as the final two. Which just they feels just wrong. They just can't hang with some of the movies that like went through. Like none of the Friday the 13ths are ever going to be as good as like The Thing. And I will get my dig into Doug Tilly just now. That night, that Nightmare on Elm Street movie should not be fucking through. Um, there's no Friday the 13th movie. Ain't no, if there ain't no Friday the 13th movie... Ain't no Nightmare on Elm Street movie either. That's all I'm saying there, apart from part three. Maybe part two, because I do love part two. Um, right, anyway, that's an aside. And another dig at Doug. Um, Friday the 13th, part seven, The New Blood, directed by John Carl Bulger. Bulger? Bulger? You got a booger. You got a booger. I'm a <laughs> produced by Ian Patterson uh, written by Manuel Fidelo and Daryl Haney uh, based on the characters by Victor Miller the movie stars Larpar Lincoln uh, Kevin Blair, Susan Blue Terry Kisser Susan Jennifer Sullivan and Ken Hodder, that's right, stop it's hard to tell there should be another credit that says that this was co-edited by the MPAA Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should be a lot of these movies should have that in there. Um, okay, let's let's see. Uh, the synopsis for this one says: Years after Tom, years after Tommy Jarvis <laughs> chained them under the water at Camp Crystal Lake, not putting a timeline on it. It's just years. Uh, the dormant Jason Voorhees returns to the campgrounds where he is accidentally released 
from his pis- uh, prison, prison, uh, from his prison by a telekinetic teenager. Don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> Pesky teenagers and their telekinesis. Um, some interesting factoids about this one. Director John Carroll, can't pronounce your surname, has publicly fumed many times over the years about the number of edits required by the MPAA to avoid its X rating. Um, the film had to be submitted nine times to the Motion Picture Association of America before being granted an R rating and it stands as arguably one of the most heavily censored entries in the Friday the 13th series. i tell you who's laughing at that. i tell you who's laughing at that right now. Wes Craven is laughing at that because he had to submit right. Shocker 13 times for edits to the MPA. There you go. Um, shocker. Ooh, yeah, and that, the shocker. The shocker! Uh, John Carroll, what's his face? Bugler. <laughs> It's, 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 it's two in the pink and one in the stink. I don't know what it's all about. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the movie we're talking Did I watch the wrong movie? Don't get me on 1989. We're talking about a whole manner of things that I don't. Uh, went in dry. Um, so John Carroll, some name can't pronounce, was so impressed by Kane Hodder when he ate living worms on the set of Prison from 1987 that he pushed for Paramount Pictures to let him cast Hodder in the role of Jason. Had not been for his presence, the role of Jason Voorhees would have been reprised by C.G. Graham. So there you go. Next time someone asks you to do something really fucking stupid in front of a camera, like eat worms, <laughs> just think that one day it may lead to you having a whole career built off the back of it. Just saying, guys. Just saying. Um, there are tons of things here, mostly about how badly this was cut. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, one of the really interesting ones was that this film was the first in the series that had a, an intention to bring in Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger on screen together. But when Paramount Pictures at the time was holding the rights to Friday the 13th and New Line was holding the rights to Nightmare on Elm Street, they couldn't agree behind the scenes. The script was rewritten to put Jason up against a telekinetic Tina Shepard instead. So there you go. In 1988, we could have had Freddy vs. Jason. I would argue it would have been a much better movie. Um, much better movie, but we didn't get it. We did not get it. Instead, we got one done by fucking Ronnie Potsy Tits, uh, who didn't like either of them and hadn't watched either of them beforehand, and as such, it shows on the screen. Ah, oh, fuck that movie. Right. Where am I going with that? Just, I'm angry. Fucking rage, rage blood. Uh, Ricky Morgan, this was your pick. Um, take the charge, Friday the 13th, part 7, the new blood. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> as goofy as it is, and as much as we had the bad conversation about part 5, for some stupid reason, I love this movie. Yeah. <clears throat> don't understand I, I it, mean, Ricky. Don't understand it. I, yeah, I, I really don't either. I, well, actually, I do. I think it was because part 6 came out. I, I loved it. I thought it was just so over the top with him being super powered like we've been doing with everybody else. And I had such fun with that that I actually went with a friend and saw this one in the theater. And we just had a hoot, man. This thing was so ridiculous that we actually enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know, man. It's almost one of my favorites in the franchise for the exact same reasons of why you like part five so much. Just on the opposite side. So five didn't do it for me. This one does. Uh, just the absurdness of a telekinetic lady being able to bring him back alive. <laughs> it's just, 
in the battle, man, it's almost like Yosemite Sam fighting Bugs Bunny. I mean, because <laughs> every time he gets ready to do something and she like, you know, either electrocutes him or something, he just got that look like, ah, oh, I hate that rabbit. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of that same thing. I like the way Jason looks in this. I like some of the kills in it. I think it's just a fun movie. And I don't know, out of the franchise, this one stands out to me because you go from like, and this is just a scenario of, of the years, but you go from like 85 to 88, maybe in 89. It was like, pull out all the stops, man. <laughs> We're going to take all these franchises, all these movies, and just take them so far overboard that you really can't recover from it, which is probably why the 90s kind of suffered like it did, because we might have damaged too much in these years. But they're unforgettable. You're not going to see this movie and forget it. <laughs> Yeah, it's got some lag in it. It does. But when when it's on and it's between the two of them, I, I don't know, man. I just, I love it. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, one of my favorites in the franchise. Mic nice. drop. Nice, <laughs> nice. Swinging it over to Mark Ball. Uh, I, this is one of my favorites of the franchise. I, I usually kind of tie between this, this and part six. Um, yep. This could almost be like the it could almost be the perfect Friday the Thirteenth movie. Um, I think Jason looks the coolest. He finally has like kind of a uh, like his antagonist, I guess, in Tina. Uh, the the basically this movie is Jason versus Carrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, man, they, it breaks my heart that they cut out all the all the kills in this movie, and it really like. Sometimes you can get away with cutting like a little bit of that and it's not, it doesn't damage the scene as a whole and like really screw up the pace and the editing. This movie <laughs> suffers from that really, really, really badly. And it, it just feels, it, it, it's, it, it breaks my heart. And I really, really wish like they could restore the, the original footage and release this the way it was supposed to be before the MPA got their hands on it. Um, but it, but it makes up for it with the with the party horn in the eye. Her. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love I love the the sight of like Jason getting hit with a couch thrown across the room. The headbutt. Like, the the light that swings into his face and he falls back through the fl- through the stairs. Like th- th- there's lots of great moments in this movie, and. Yeah, if they could figure out a way to put the gore back in this, this would be, I think, like an almost perfect Friday the 13th movie. Very nice, very nice. The part with the, when she makes the potted plant come over and it's got that head in it and the head it head butts him. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so over the top, man. So ridiculous. No. Uh, the ending of this movie. I just remembered how this movie ends with the, the non, like, <laughs> They apparently built something really cool for when the dad comes out of the water and it looked all like Tales from the Crypt, like rotten corpse. And for whatever reason, I, I don't remember why they cut that and it's just a dude with like some like grease paint yeah. on his face. It's, it's just the actor that comes out and it's it's fucking ridiculous and not good. <laughs> it's such a shame that they didn't go with what they originally planned. No, gents. Don't hate me. this one doesn't rank high up and Friday is my franchise and on any given day I would argue you know that there's even even Manhattan has elements that I'll defend Mm -hmm. so none of them are like like 
pure shit, you know what I mean? Um, there's always something I will, you know, swing at the bat for. So it's not on that level, but it's not that much higher, I'm afraid. Um, to me, this is when... This is the, this is really when Friday the 13th starts to lose its shit. Um, in a way where... It doesn't it doesn't amount to anything. It's like a it's frustrating. It's a frustrating watch. In that I do have fun with it. And you're right. The stuff you're mentioning makes me smile and makes me laugh because I really like the over top over the top nature of most of it. But it's the telekinesis stuff that I kind of can't get behind because you are almost removing it from what's kind of. And a lot of people will say, well, Jason's brought back to life <laughs> in part six with lightning. Yeah. Which is true. And <laughs> there is a reason that part six doesn't hold up that high either for me. Um, this movie, the telekinesis stuff to me is, is ropey. I, I, don't, I don't quite like its inclusion because it's never carried on beyond this movie at all. Um, in terms of, you know, this is like an actual event where someone has bested Jason and trapped him that's okay if that character comes back in at a later point in some of the other films but it's just yeah. disregarded it's, not, it's never it's never I know we're supposed to be judging it purely on the film but I have to you know these things are going to creep in um, and my, my feelings overall with the movie um, I think yeah I, you can tell this movie was gutted like which is ironic considering how little blood there's in it um, you know what I mean the, the MPA went ruthless on this one. I don't know why they decided to make an example of this movie in particular but they really really went hard at it and it just loses its teeth What yeah. what's frustrating for me really about watching it is that whereas in part 6 there's a couple of scenes which genu genuinely are still jarring to me and part 5 have them and part 4 has them and you know like working our way back part 7 is the first movie to me where there is literally no kind of Yep. Presence impact by Jason being on the screen. That makes sense. Now, as uh, Kane Hodder and Kane Hodder looks great as Jason, and there's a reason that guy keeps getting rebooked because he is ostensibly Jason. Um, but it's kind of like the he was still finding his feet in this one. I think Jason is far more menacing in the next movie than he is in this movie, and the next movie's not a great movie. Um, so I can't get a happy medium, and that's my issue with Seven is that it kind of feels like if I could take some if I could take some of the scares from part six and put them in here and take a bit of the kind of vicious nature of Jason and Jason Takes Manhattan and put that in here and then get a bit of the gore from maybe part five or part four and bring that to this film, this movie's going to be fucking bitching and I can overlook the telekinesis, but it doesn't right. have any of that. And it's, to me, it's just a bit middle of the road. Um... And yeah, I, I'm smiling while we're talking about the different scenes, and it does make me. But then you've just reminded me, a plant headbutts Jason, and then I'm just like, "What are we doing here, people? What are we actually exactly. doing?" Exactly. <laughs> and and that's 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 what I was saying too, because that's this time frame of movie makers. Every one of these movies we're going to talk about is going to have those kind of moments in it because they were really just. It's almost like Sid and Marty Croft in the '70s smoking yeah. pot and saying hey let's create a kids show where trees are talking i mean it's almost that same mentality of yeah. these movies and i think some do just... it better though i think i think oh, there's yeah, a couple yeah, on do. here that do, do it like like a lot better and you would just think friday the 13th seven yep. movies in would have their shit together a bit better than well yeah 
that's my problem with franchises because we always keep changing writers, we keep changing directors, we keep. I mean, so it's never gonna be what I consider like a canon story, and we always end up just like we're doing right now with Halloween. Let's forget all that crap and go back to the original story. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the problem with when we run these franchises and you don't solidify keeping everybody intact, keeping the same team together. We run into these stupid stories where Jason fights a leprechaun, you know, and yep. <laughs> that's what happens. And uh, this movie is a a product of that. Somehow it hit me and I liked it, I guess, because, again, the age of sitting there in the theater and just having a hoot with it. It's not scary <laughs> by any means, but uh, I, I totally I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm happy to admit that I'm one of these ones that's in the minority on this one. Seven's fairly well regarded, even for all those flaws, and most people come down on what you and Mark are saying. Um, but sitting down to go through it this time, I don't know, just something... I wasn't as kind as I've been in the past with it, and I was like, yeah, yeah it just... It vexed me. <laughs> it vexed me slightly. Um... Cool, let's, let's swing away from that. Let's see if I can bring us all back together on the side of righteousness. Um, or maybe not, who knows, who knows. Um, I was part shocked, um, but then also very excited to read on Facebook that Mark had never seen this movie. Um, <laughs> oh, man. blew my fucking mind because I was like that. To be Mark, knowing what I know about Mark, right, and knowing what his tastes are like, to be Mark sitting down and experiencing the blob for the first time, as like that, I would give money to be in the room to see that because I, I was, and I still will swing it to you and you can let us know, but I was like that, if ever there was a movie that just, you know, just hits those zones, those Mark Ball zones, is of course The Blob. Directed by Chuck Russell, produced by Jack H. Harris and Elliot Kastner. A screenplay by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont. A story by Irving H. Milgate, based on The Blobby. Um, is that right? The Blobby? Is that the name of the book? Oh, <laughs> sure. no. The, based on <laughs> Flubber. The Blobby kind of sounds almost like the Scottish word for a... For a for um, a number two, which is jobby. <laughs> which is so funny to say when you're Scottish. Because it makes me it makes me think of it makes me think of Billy Connolly and he's like that you're you're on the train and you go into the toilet and there's just this wee beige jobby in the pan looking up at you. And you can't leave the toilet if it doesn't flush because someone will walk in after you and say, he look at him, he's a fucking disgrace. Didn't flush that jobby. Um, I don't know why I'm, like, my brain's all scattershot. Uh, based on The Blobby oh, by Theodore uh, Simonson, weird surname, and Kay Link Lineker, um, starring Shawnee Smith, Does It Ever, um, Kevin Dillon, Donovan Leach, Jeffrey Dunham, uh, Candy Clark, uh, <laughs> of course it is. Uh, because her name's Candy and Highlander. Uh, Joe Seneca. Um, synopsis. Remake of the 1958 sci-fi horror classic about a deadly blob from another planet which consumes everything in its path. Teenagers attempt without success to warn the Tim's people who refuse to take them seriously. Well, yes, because they were probably calling it the Blobby. And that is hilarious. Um, synopsis for this one. 
of the film's 19 million US dollar budget, 9 million went towards the visual effects. Of course it did. Did you see this movie? Um, two minor roles were played by Playboy Playmates. Vicky DeSoto uh, was played by Erika Elenica, well, that's a terrible name, um, who was July 1989's Playboy Playmate. I kind of feel a wee bit dirty reading this out now. And Susie was played by Julie McCulloch, who uh, was on that, uh, that edition February 1986. Um, the theatrical trailer shows part of a deleted scene in which Fran is chased by the blob through a restaurant. In this deleted scene, she's running towards the doors while the blob is knocking down the tables and chairs. When she gets to the door, she realises that they're locked and she doesn't have a key, so she jumps out the window. Another scene that was filmed but deleted in which the blob then kills and eats a squirrel. Also, some versions of the movie have an alternative death scene of Paul and Eddie, with different editing Paul's death and different gore effects for Eddie's. Um, the use of Triumph motorcycles could be a nod to Steve McQueen, star of the original The Blob. McQueen owned several Triumphs and rode them on and off screen. Um, so why did I pick The Blob? The Blob is legitimately one of the MVPs of the 80s. Um, not only is it one of the best horror remakes ever, and I don't use that lightly, go back to another Summer Teapots Top 10 series where I kitted down the best horror remakes and the worst horror remakes and you will hear me wax lyrical and, and spew forth so much praise it's unbelievable about The Blob. The Blob is exactly the sort of remake you should have for a movie like this. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a weird thing about these where remakes were just done really really well um, and most of them came from kind of B-movie sci-fi stuff from the, from the 50s. Uh, you look at John Carpenter's The Thing you look at David Cronenberg's The Fly, you cannot discount Chuck Russell's The Blob. Uh, the visual effects are phenomenal in this movie. It has that 80s aesthetic that we know and love um, from, from some of the other movies that we have discussed in previous episodes, things like Fright Night uh, or Night of the Creeps. It, you know, it has that sort of relatable 80s environment about it. At the same time though, what it delivers is just some really great casting, some really great performances, um, and it's just a rad watch. It, it goes in so easy, it's a, a ton of fun to watch. I still don't know how they did some of the special effects in this movie, I still don't understand why some, you know, 30 odd years later they hold up as well as they do, they really really shouldn't. This is 30 years actually, 30 years old this movie. I don't understand how some of the visual effects hold up as well in this movie. It is a pure delight from start to finish. Um, we're going to make Mark sit on things because we are going to come to him eventually. Um, did I get anything wrong, Ricky Morgan? No, man. This this movie is... You, you said exactly what I say about it. This is what a remake should be. Yeah. Um, you know, and you just brought up the other one as well, The Thing. Being able to take these stories that are sci-fi this is the mistake we make with trying to do a remake instead of doing a total classic that has something more than the effects that that are the storytelling is where we mess up with trying to remake things because you can't really get recapture that that lightning in a bottle but with something like this that was a b movie in its own right to start off with you can take that and run with it and just do a better job at it just like the thing just like the blob 
uh, the, the effects are still absolutely amazing in this movie. And even if we attempted, which I've kind of heard something of another remake of it, mm -hmm. I just don't see how we can really top it and not be some kind of weird CGI fest that now we're just getting so numb to. Um, God, I, I don't know. This movie holds up. It's You said it. It's, it's ironic that uh, this movie is this old and, and it still holds up. You got the aesthetic, like you said, from the 80s. But as far as a movie... This thing is solid, man. It's it's a good, good, good movie. Nice, solid as a rock. <laughs> Let's find out if Mark thought it was hot, 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 hot. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I hate myself. Absolutely hate myself on this episode. This episode full of self-loathing. Um, Mark Ball, you'd never seen the blob before. That feels wrong and weird, but you've now rectified it. Please tell us all about that. Yeah, for for whatever reason, I'd never actually I, I'd seen parts of this, and I definitely everybody talks about this when they talk about practical effects and like great remakes. But for whatever reason, I had never actually like sat down and just watched it the whole way through. Uh, when this movie was over, I put my fists up in the air and just like cheered. I like this was one of the most fun things I've watched in a really really long time, and. Um, it just hits so many like perfect notes. It's 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 gory. It's got a great cast. Like it's pretty well written. The, the characters are all like pretty likable. It, it feels sort of like a. It, it didn't Frank Darabont had something to do with this? Danny, it, it has yeah, almost kind of a, yeah. yeah. It has kind of a Stephen King feel to it, almost like like something he would be into. Kind of uh, special effects are incredible. I think uh, Steve Johnson was one of the guys that worked on this. He was like mm -hmm. uh, MVP of like inventive, like largely practical effects at the time with stuff like Ghostbusters and a little later on he worked on The Abyss, stuff like that. Um, this movie is incredible. I can't believe I hadn't seen this until now. This is like one of this, this is a new favorite movie. And um, it it looks gorgeous. I watched it on Amazon Prime, and I'm pretty sure that's like an HD remaster of some kind. Yeah, look, Twi Twilight Time put out in the states, and one of their classic. Oh, we're only doing two thousand copies of this, so if you didn't buy it, fuck you. Um, yeah. Sort of things, which seemed like insanely backwards, but the British Blu-ray version is put out by Eureka, so it's fairly readily available if you have a multi-region player. I would recommend Sweet. getting that one because the Twilight Time ones are a fortune. I think they yeah. set you back about sixty pounds. Um, I know that our buddy Brett was like, "This is why I can't believe you've never seen it." Because I remember when this got announced as getting a Blu-ray thing, and we were all doing the Midnight Horror Show at the time, and we were all just like, "Yeah, we're totally to get that movie." And I, I, I thought, like, I, I just thought you'd seen it, I, but no. It makes me, if this whole series has one good outcome is that you've watched the blob and you loved it, then it's been worth the fucking 30 hours of recording, man. Honestly, I'm so happy right now. Um, yeah. I knew you would. I knew you would. In fact, like when you posted you hadn't seen it, I was like, oh, to be a <laughs> wall. Because um, I was just like, this is, this is a Mark Ball movie through and through. It's like, yeah. yeah. Phenomenal. I'm so happy right now. So everyone, <laughs> see, I told you, would bring us all back. We're all back together. Everyone's happy. Isn't that great? So let's keep the goofiness going, because there's no way we can't keep the goofiness going. Um, the movie that we all universally agreed on to put through uh, was a little movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, I love this movie. 
I actually love it more after this watch for this episode. It's weird, like, it's another movie that time should not be kind to, but for whatever reason is only making it better. Um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is directed by Stephen uh, Chiodo, uh, produced by Charles Chiodo, Edward Chiodo and Stephen Chiodo. That's getting a bit complicated for my tongue to pronounce. Uh, written by Charles Chiodo and Stephen Chiodo. Um, starring Grant Kramer, Suzanne Snyder, John Allen Nelson, Royal Dano, uh, Michael Siegel, Peter... Oh dear, right, Peter. Uh, and John Vernon, who is brother of Leslie Vernon, who was a serial killer, just let you know. Um, that's a lie, that's a lie. Jumping this line on the show. Uh, aliens who look like clowns come from outer space and terrorise a small town. Literally what it says on the tin. One of the greatest... That is like the blob tells you exactly what you're watching. Killer Clowns from Outer Space tells you exactly what you're watching. Um, so yeah, some factoids about this one. The two million budget went primarily on production costs. The clowns and visual effects were created almost entirely by the filmmakers at very little cost. Um, though not a hit when it was released in theatres, the film has become a cult classic and made revenue in action figures, DVDs and t-shirts. Also has a 4K restoration put out by Arrow. Let that sink in. Um, the giant king clown from the ending sequence, affectionately known as Clownzilla by the Chodo brothers, was actually played by one of them, Charles Chodo. There is an interesting similarity between The Blob 1950 and this movie. Both have a first victim, who is an old geezer, that's their term, not mine, uh, old geezer living in a cab, a cabin who has a dog. Both movies have a decent cop named Dave, who does not, well, Dave's a, a, a name of a cop, isn't it? Really, all Dave's are cops, are they not? Uh, who does not believe the young people, and a crabby old cop who seems to have a grudge against younger citizens. Once again, that could be every old cop. Um, so, sometimes fiction's true. Uh, the horrorcore rap group, the Insane Clown Posse, this is for all those hardcore juggalos out there, uh, sampled dialogue from the film for the staleness on their 2002 Jokers album, The Wrath of Shangri-La. Um, Who would have thought those guys would gravitate towards this movie? Yeah, you've got to keep those juggalos happy, otherwise they'll do a million juggalo march on Falkirk, and I don't think I'm ready for that. Um, so, uh, right, this was all chose by all of us. Um, we might as well keep the conversation flowing quite nicely on this one. Uh, I'll kick us off. Yeah, I love, yeah, watching this back, it's so much fun with this. This is like, we are now well and truly in the goofy end of the 80s. And just, mm -hmm. there is no bad idea. It's just ta tables of executives and filmmakers with ramen noodle, sushi, and mountains of cocaine. Right, that is literally, <laughs> literally that is the, that's the process in which every film is made. And they're going around going, right, no idea's a bad idea. No, but what, what, what do you think? And someone's going, eh, 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 right, uh, set in a small town, set in a small town, write that on the board, Steve. Steve's right, small town, right, that's great, right, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, someone's like, uh, and there's clowns. Clowns, yeah, clowns are in, put that on the board, right, right on the board. Um, and what can, can we have them from, right, Science fiction movies are selling well. Can we have a, can we have a, a spaceship? The clowns are from space. That is amazing, right? Like, put that on the board. Put, like, oh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And that is literally how this film feels like it was made. It feels like, <laughs> and the ludicrousness levels they commit to this. 
that's what I love about it. They commit fully to this because I've seen plenty of movies where creatures come from outer space and they've, you know, that's really where it stops and you know, they've got some way of killing people or kidnapping them or all the rest. No, 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 no. The spaceships are, you know, high top tents. Um, the weapons are all like popcorn guns and you know candy floss. Like they commit to the full thing. This is a fairground horror movie, the likes of which you have never seen. It is phenomenal. It is bonkers. It is now, even though I have a two K steelbook version, that four K is calling me. Um, it's just um, it's a pure joy to watch. It's just so ridiculous, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to state on this episode of the podcast under the stairs that I am renewing my love, uh, stated in recording for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Ricky Morgan, uh, just absolute fun. I mean, I don't even know what to say that you didn't already say. I, I, you keep making me follow you. That's not good. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> <Well, laughs> uh, <laughs> This was my, when 88 was my senior year in high school, I remember when this movie came out, it did absolutely nothing, you know, and because of, you know, VHS and all that good stuff, that's where it kind of found its legs, and this is one of those that we grabbed, we watched it over and over and over and over, and invite more people over and watch it again, um, it's so ridiculous, so fun. And this is why it's from 1988, because of exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Crazy decisions were being made of what to make movies out of. It seemed like anything was working at the time. Uh, I love the idea of, you know, they look like clowns, <laughs> but everything they have is also clown-related as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always found it amusing, you know, with the tents and, like you said, the cotton candy and all that stuff. It's like... Yeah, they don't just look like clowns. There, there's just a <laughs> that was just the excuse of making them from outer space. Uh, it's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the clown that's you know in the, the the invisible car kind of thing. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just got so much craziness in it, man. You can't help but have a good time with this one. Again, when when we talk about top horror movies. It's always hard for me to include some of these some of these because is there really scary moments in these movies? This is one that I, I never saw anything that really was scary to me, but you have to put it in some genre. You know, just as crazy as making the movie itself, we got to put it somewhere. Um, it's fun, man. And to me it does kind of reflect back if you bring up the stuff about the blob, the original version. You know, the the town settings and stuff are always that atmosphere so you're already comfortable with it when you step into it you've already kind of seen it you just got a different <laughs> you know a different bad guy running around uh mm-hmm. i don't it's just fun man it's a fun fun movie most of these on these lists are fun so that's gonna what you're gonna hear you're gonna hear that from every movie <laughs> on me on this this was fun <laughs> fun is good fun is good mark ball yeah. take the reins uh, killer clowns from outer space well, first of all, I can't believe neither of you brought this up. Uh, this gets mad points for having the best theme song out of almost any movie <laughs> from the 80s by the Dickies. Uh, it instantly gets stuck in your head. Um, mm-hmm. that, this movie, to me, th- this feels like it, it feels like a labor of love. I'm pretty sure these guys are all brothers, the, the Kyotos or Chiotos or however you pronounce it. 
um, they they're they're all super professional makeup and special effects artists. I'm pretty sure they got their start doing stuff like Critters, mm-hmm. and um, maybe some of the Charles Band movies. I think they might have worked on like Ghoulies or something. That, that might that might have been our Friday the Thirteenth Seven guy Buchler. Um, but yeah, the the clearly. Um, these guys like they they knew how to build like masks and miniatures and they they had really worked on their craft before they got around to doing this and this feels kind of like their labor of love is this goofy goofy movie about aliens that look like clouds that come down and terrorize a small town with lots of circus related implements of death and um this is one of the 80s movies i feel like it, it falls into that odd tone of being a horror movie that's sort of like i i think you would think this movie was really scary if you saw this like at like six or seven years old somewhere around like they're like younger there, there's stuff in this that i think is like pure nightmare fuel if you're at that young age so it, it oddly almost feels like a horror movie directed kind of at children and i, I mean it's re- it's relatively bloodless there, there's some like gruesome ideas or stuff like like that in this but relatively bloodless i think you could show this to a fairly young viewer like somebody that's kind of just starting to get into horror um yeah i i I love this unfortunately i didn't see this until i was well into my 20s but it became like kind of an instant instant classic that uh, like it's one of those movies i could pop up any time and it's it's as ricky would say it's it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun that's right this is the catchphrase for this episode will be it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun um continuing the fun uh let's let's swing it down to yeah let's go with this one um i'm saying continuing the fun this might be one that causes arguments uh <laughs> we'll see um we'll do phantasm 2 Directed by Don Coscarelli, produced by Roberto E. I was going to say Quesadilla, but that's clearly a dish and not his name. Uh, as written, <laughs> written and George uh, Cadoba. <laughs> Big Bobby Fajitas in here. Um, <laughs> so written by Don Coscarelli, starring uh, James Lagrosse, uh, Angus Scrum. Reggie Bannister and Paula Irvin. The synopsis for Phantasm 2 goes, Mike, now released from a psychiatric hospital, continues his journey to stop the evil tall man from his grim work. Now, some interesting factoids up first here. Brad Pitt originally auditioned for the role of Mike. There we go. But Uh Pitt did not, and his career went in the shitter after that, and he did no great movies at all. None. Um... (laughs) This was, up, Brad. <laughs> this was the lowest budgeted film Universal produced in the 80s, which is saying a lot for Universal because they were throwing money like fucking sweeties at everything. Um, Reggie Bannister had quit acting in the nine years between Phantasm in 1979 and Phantasm 2 and worked for a time at a funeral home and assisted in embalming bodies. Clearly that movie had an impact on him. He's <laughs> not right in there. Uh, the film's three million budget was ten times bigger than that of Phantasm, and the biggest one in the entire series. Don Coscarelli admits to following direct influences by Universal during the making of this movie, uh, and no dreams by characters were allowed in the final cut. A female lead had to be added as a love interest for the character of Mike, 
actress Paula Irvin was cast in the part. Um, so these are the these are the things that he was told to add in, uh, including the illusory style of the first movie was discouraged for a more linear plotline with voiceover narrations of character uh, various characters that were required. Right, uh, Ricky Morgan, your love mm-hmm. for this franchise knows no bounds. Um, right. I imagine that was pivotal in your selection of this movie to make your three to carry through. Enlighten us why you chose Phantasm 2. Well, you just said my love for for this (laughs) franchise. It's my favorite franchise. I mean, really, when it comes down to a movie franchise, a movie that I feel like I can go through, eh, maybe not the last one so much. I mean, I I like the tip of the hat they did, but Phantasm 2 was... I don't know. I remember when it came out because it had been so long after the first one. You're talking 11 years later, I believe, something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, so for it to actually have a bigger budget, even though it was, you know, kind of skimmed just for Universal and they had a lot of say so of who was going to be in this movie and what you can do and what you cannot do. I, there's something about Don Coscarelli's imagination that I love and I, I just gravitate towards that. Um, man. Yeah, there's something about Don Coscarelli's imagination that I just gravitate to because he really likes to show you something you haven't seen before and that's a big topic that i cover on house of wax that's what always drew me in as a horror fan uh yeah you can get creative with different ways you kill people stuff but you get numb to that but the ideas of you know we took the the ball from the first movie which was what everybody talked about and then you took that and multiplied it to this thing that (laughs) goes in a guy's back and tries to come out of his mouth it's an incredible scene, even on the low budget they did it on. You get Reggie turning into more of a Bruce Campbell, Ash Williams type character. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's fun and still has creepy moments in it. And I love the whole idea of the dream state. You can't distinguish between what is really happening. Uh, the tall man controls everything. He controls, he even knows what you're going to do before you do it. He just lets you think that you're getting away with something. I just love that idea. And uh, I'm a tall man fan, mm. and it's because of the abilities he has. I, I make a, a reference all the time of, you know, the tall man to the horror universe is what uh, uh, Thanos is to the Marvel universe. <laughs> He's yeah. that powerful, but we never get to really see that. And uh, I don't know, man. I love part two. I wish some things were a little different in it. I think the chainsaw battle in it is great. I loved all the Jawas running around with some now prosthetic faces running around. Uh, you know, it, it's just fun, man. And I think they did a good job of picking it up right from the end of the original, even though all those years, you know, went by. I don't know. I thought it was a well-made movie for what he was handed. Uh, you either can do it our way and continue your franchise, or you just don't have a franchise. So, uh, yeah, kudos to, to Don for, for pulling this movie off. I still think it's a whole lot of fun. It's got a lot of good scares in it. it it's even got the scene, and I made, made this reference too, of the scene where the girl is, they, they find the girl that becomes the love interest, and she's like bound, and she's over to the side, like to a big sewer pipe or whatever, and her back opens up, and a, like a miniature tall man head comes out of her back, just like in Demons. You know, it's just got some weird, weird imagination stuff going on in this. I dig it. It's one of my favorites. Nice, swinging it across the mark ball. 
I, I've got lots of time for the Phantasm series. I, I, I was I, I saw the first one in my early 20s, but it took me a little while to track down all the sequels to this because for a while they were really hard to get. Um, but I, I, I love this franchise too. I, I think they're all pretty solid. And they all kind of, in their own ways, like step up you know, mm-hmm. the effects and like just the production value. And they, they all go a little bit further than the one previous to it. And two has the very difficult job of following up the first one, which I think is almost a perfect horror movie. Like the, the first Phantasm is one of my all-time favorites, and I think for the most part, it it really hits a lot of notes and does take things further. And they had enough like things had progressed quite a bit in that eleven years between this and the first one, so that like especially in terms of practical effects and probably like the the ability. That, they they clearly had a lot more money at their disposal for this one. Mm-hmm. The first Phantasm was made really really cheap, so to have that that Universal Studios budget on this thing, I, I think really worked to its advantage because it's a pretty it's a pretty um like there, there's a lot of crazy fantasy shit going on in in, in this series and stuff that takes place in dreams and on other planets and stuff. So I mean, when you get a little and it, you don't even really need like a gigantic budget, I think, to make a really sweet Phantasm movie. I, th- I think the people who worked on these just knew how to stretch their budget and get some really insane, inventive stuff out of not a lot of money. So, um, yeah, I, I love Phantasm too. I, I, I can't really say if this is this is probably my favorite out of the sequels, um, yeah. but much like a lot of these franchises we've talked about, every single one of these movies has stuff that I absolutely adore in it. So. Um, you really can't go wrong with any of the Phantasm movies, so I'm, I'm glad Part 2 landed on this list. Nice, nice. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> I feel like I'm being <laughs> such a Debbie Downer on this recording. Um, I'm not happy with my position as being a Debbie Downer on this recording. Um, I used to really think I loved this movie. Uh, turns out I only just like it um, and don't love it, which kind of upsets me. Um... And I'm now starting to think that I maybe don't like this franchise as much as I do. I think the first movie is incredible. I would put the first movie, you know, up there amongst some of the greatest horror movies ever made. I think the first Phantasm movie is just everything that makes me love horror movies. Um, That kind of dreamlike quality of the movie, you know, just the surrealism and all the rest. That plays right into my love of um, kind of the Italian genre movies of of the of the kind of late 60s early 70s um and a lot of the kind of dream stuff that was used in kind of hammer movies as well that kind of dreamess sort of um style of filming and all the rest totally plays into all that for me i love that aspect about about the movie which is for a huge part of it stripped out and obviously i've read here i didn't realize it had as many production problems but you know it seems like the studio forced those elements to be either curbed or removed um, oh yeah and i think at that point that's where you start to lose me and that's a shame because those are the elements i thought those are the elements that raise phantasm from being just an okay horror movie about a you know a creepy alien that works at a morgue who's chasing a kid and puts it into nightmare fuel for me and then when we come to the, the, the sequel, you are right, you get this kind of almost Ash-esque sort of, you know, action 
hero character. Come on, you mother! <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, I mean, to be honest with you, that's cast perfectly. You know, the Reggie Bannister, like, characters yeah. and Mike characters and all the rest are cast perfectly in this movie and, you know, they're at no way should the universe have been pushing them to pick up other people. You know, Reggie Bannister's just perfectly cast in this movie. But what happens is that all the purchase that I had from the previous movie has has been removed. And it it was such a frustrating watch this time because I came into it, like, bouncing because I bought the box sets, I've got the Blu-ray box set. Um, I watched that 4K restoration of Phantasm very recently, actually, and come off it going, yeah, that's that is how you do that is how you do a horror movie. Take note, Hollywood. This guy made it on practically fucking nothing on weekends when he was 22. You know what I mean? There you go. Like, look at that. That's how you do it. And then I watch what should be a better movie because it has a better budget. It has, but that's the problem. As soon as you have a, where's that money coming from? It's coming from a studio, so the studio now gets a piece of the pie in terms of mm-hmm. how it's said. And it, it upsets me because Don Coscarelli, like you said, Ricky, I think is one of the more important voices in the horror genre. And I, I constantly feel like because some of these movies do get a bit goofy, that people almost sideline them. But, yeah. you know, if I if I go through his catalogue of stuff, um, like the, the bigger titles, particularly more recently, I think John Dies at the End is a great movie. You know, a, sure. an adaption of a book that people said couldn't be adapted. And he, did a, right. he does a thumping good job. Bubba Hotep is genius. Oh, it's <laughs> like Bubba Hotep, in my opinion, might be his second best movie. Um, like, wow. I, like, yeah, I told it like right beside Phantasm, um, in terms of just what it does. It's another movie which, kind of on paper, probably shouldn't work, but works like really, really, really well. And you know, Phantasm's the pinnacle. I came to Phantasm too, and there's a lot of action in it, yeah, but all the things that I loved about the series. Now, I'll take that back. The tall man's great in the movie. Like, Angus Grimm really gets a chance to, to, to stretch those chops out and start to breathe life and mythology into a character who is given very little in the first movie, which kind of adds to the ominous nature it's of him. scary. Yeah. Right. And in this one, what they add to him makes him just as scary, which I love. Generally, it works the other way. So the more I know about Freddy Krueger, the less terrified I am about Freddy Krueger. You know, the more I know about Michael Myers, the less terrified I am about Michael Myers. The more I know about the tall man, the scarier that guy gets because he is almost omnipotent, and that in right. itself is terrifying. Um, right. So that bit's handled great, but all the stuff that should make me love this movie has been taken out. It's been gutted out of the movie, and I, I, I was bummed out by the end of it. I was totally bummed out. It's not that I think it's a bad movie. It's not at all. It's just, it, this movie, to me, should be so much better because it should have Coscarelli overseeing everything and, and putting that shine that Phantasm has over the sequel, and it's just not there. So I'm so upset on this watching. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Um, and it has been many, many years since I've seen Phantasm 2. You're talking early 90s. Uh, it was the last time I saw Phantasm 2. Uh, for some wow. reason, I've seen part three loads I don't, I don't know why, but I've seen part three <laughs> loads. Um, and I would probably say part two is better than part three. Um, yeah, yeah, part three is an odd bird, but, you know, hey, again, lower, lower budget. But, uh, yeah, you know, again, uh, that's that's the horror story behind Phantasm 2. It's like, it's a pretty good movie, but the movie that it could have been yeah. is kind of what we've always kind of focused on. Because, again, it all goes back to that first movie. 
And you see Coscarelli's ideas ripped off left and right in other franchises. Hello, I'm not going to get too deep into that. <laughs> you, but, should do, uh, you should do a, a video of your podcast where you spell them out. Okay. Oh, yeah, I might do that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, again, and you, you left out Beastmaster in the middle of all this too. So I do really like Beastmaster. I, I love Beastmaster. I think Bubble Hotel's better though. Oh, that, I don't know about that, man. That's masters, pretty... I, I, don't, I, I think, yeah, when you when you have Bruce Campbell playing Elvis, um, <laughs> you, you almost have won the world at that point. You know what I mean? At that point, you can retire. Um, I've, I've never shown you the video that, of Bruce Campbell that I've got where he's talking about that. We, we met him in Chicago, and he's talking about when he went in to learn to be Elvis. They had an impersonator that was teaching him, and he said within about three hours, the guy just looked at Don Gustrelli and said, yeah, this guy ain't gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to send that to you. It's hilarious. You need to. You totally need to. Um, so yeah, so that, that was Phantasm too. Like I say, you don't want to be a Debbie Downer. So let's let's bring us back to one love. One love. Um, hopefully, bring it back to one love. At, at this point, who knows? Uh, all bets are off. Um, but I don't know if you know about this, ladies and gents. But you have the right to remain silent forever. <laughs> um, because the next movie we're going to discuss is a movie we discussed really recently on Podcast Under the Stairs. It's Maniac Cop, directed by Big Bill Lustig, produced by Larry Cohen and written by Larry Cohen. The movie stars Tom motherfucking Atkins, Bruce Campbell, speaking of the very man. Um, uh-huh. We have Lorraine Landon, Richard Rowntree, William Smith, Robert D- Zadar. Um, which really, this movie is a battle of the chins, isn't it? I think Zidar might take oh, yeah. it. He might yeah. take it. And Cherie North. Um, synopsis for this one is, A killer dressed in a police uniform begins murdering innocent people on the streets of New York City. Uh, some facts about um, this movie, and this is stealing my joke, clearly, or I read it earlier and stole this joke. The actors that play both the protagonist, Bruce Campbell, and the antagonist, Robert Zidar, have the nickname... The Chin, uh, in Robert Zadar's case, formerly known as The Chin because he died. Uh, although the film is set in New York, it was only shot in there for three days. Actor Robert Zadar, who played the maniac cop, worked as a police officer in real life for the Chicago Police Department. I would shit myself if he arrested me. Like, <laughs> it would be running down my trouser leg. Um, uh, Bruce Campbell admits he only did the film because he needed the work. He also admits that the film wasn't any good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruce Campbell, you, you really need to look at some more of the films you've been in before you throw that stone. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you really need to. <laughs> um, right, um, this was a Mark Ball pick. Uh, my, my love for Maniac Cop is well known. So, uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about why it made your list. Oh man, Maniac Cop. Uh, another one that was a little late to the game on, but. Um... You know, I, I, the, this movie is the, it's it's almost like the Jason takes Manhattan that we didn't really get. Um, mm, nice, nice, Mark. This is a great, a great, great, great slasher movie. Uh, again, a lot of fun, fairly violent. Um, I know, I know, there's supposed to be a remake of this, like on, on the on the horizon, but abandoned. The whole thing's been abandoned. Oh, has it? Well, that doesn't really surprise me. That, that yeah. seems like a movie that would get really, really bad press. Like, they, they thought back then was bad. Now, if you talk about <laughs> killing cops in a movie, like, 
or I a movie he, about yeah, a that's why I was excited. Basically. That's why I was excited. I thought that was the perfect time to do that movie now, with all the press that the police are getting about, you know, kind of these vigilante police and their heavy-handed nature. Now is the time to make a movie about that. Uh, now is the time to resurrect Maniac Cop, but um, I think it went so far, and the last we heard, Larry Cohen, I think, is one of the reasons it's not happening um, at the moment. Which is fair, Larry. He he has every right to say no, no, you can't fucking, you can't remake my movie. And I, honestly, I almost don't want them to. This thing is kind of timeless and very of its time, late '80s kind of thing, and. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I'm losing my voice for a second. So I'm gonna hand it off to Ricky. Ricky. Oh, it's Maniac Cop. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a whole lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it's not my favorite Zadar. Is it Zadar or Zadar? Zadar. Yeah. Yeah, it's not my favorite Zadar performance. I'll have to go with Samurai Cop on that one. Because it's the greatest <laughs> performance of any bad movie in the history of man. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. But if, but if I oh, had man, to pick this- a second. If I had to pick a second one, is this one. <laughs> Samurai Cop makes me surprised he was a real cop. Because, again, if, if if you start in a movie like that today and you were a real cop, they would kick you off the force. <laughs> <laughs> I will cut off his head, and I will put it on your piano. <laughs> Anyways, Maniac Cop. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the, the combination of some of the greatest people in horror movies ever. Tom Atkins, Bruce Campbell, hello. Come on. I mean, that right there should make you want to check this movie out. Uh, It's got just the right amount of gore. It's, uh, you know, you get the backstory of why he's like he is. I don't know. It's it's a, hey, hey, time's up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that was. My phone just made a noise randomly. (laughs) You're done, Rick. On to the next person. (laughs) No. Uh, I, I, I think it came out at just the right time. Again, you know, we were getting bombarded with the franchises and stuff. Why not start another one? And uh, I got a lot of time for Bill Lustig. Got a lot of time for Larry Cohen. Uh, I don't know. To, to me, this is a standard. You can't really classify yourself as a horror fan and not have or have not seen Maniac Cop and the sequels. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, well, maybe not a third one, um, but mm, let's, not, let's not talk about that. Um, yeah, I, 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 before we swing it back to Mark for kind of closing thoughts, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it, it, the first half of the movie is handled really, really, really well and that, you know, there is something menacing about the, you know, this idea of this killer cop. Um, I think they handle the deaths really, really well, really brutal. Love the theme song, it's kind of haunting almost childlike theme song that plays um, during his flashbacks. The actual scene of him being gutted in, in prison mm-hmm. still is one of those things that makes me kind of wince when I watch it. Very, very, very well done. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, the movie escalates to a really, really cool ending that I, I kind of love. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It, it's, one that I, it's, it's, one, it's one of those surprising ones that comes out when you think slasher movies have kind of come to the end of their shelf life and we probably shouldn't be doing any more now like movies like maniac cop come along and just remind you how how fun they can be and how well done if given a really good script and a really good premise so yeah i, I do i heavy love maniac cop uh, mark it, oh sorry i was just gonna say it's one of those two that you would almost pass over just because of the name alone oh god you know, yeah yeah maniac cop it's like well no no thanks but yeah it, it's 
it's much better than the name. <laughs> yeah, it's so much better than it should be. It's so much better. Yeah. And they said at the time that, you know, the whole, this is one of these ones that comes out of a, an idea of we should make a movie about a cop that kills people. You know, the, the tagline will be, you have the right to remain silent forever. And then yeah. the movie's made around that, which I think is yep. just genius. It's so much better than it should be. Right, Mark Ball, you have closing words on Maniac Cop, sir. Uh, you, you guys hit a lot of the points. It's it's a great exploitation movie, like you said. It, it, it's and and I, that's almost why I think the title works to its advantage. It's Maniac Cop. You know exactly what you're getting yourself into. The, the title the title says it all. And if you're into weird sleazy trash like I am, then the the, the name stands out to you. And definitely like the the VHS cover was one I remember a lot from you know trips oh, to the yeah. video store as a child. So. Um, yeah, you, if he you, was, you, if he was only on there holding a samurai sword and a head in his hand, though, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah, that, that's about it. Can't go wrong with Maniac Cop. Can't go wrong, indeed. Right, let's swing this back to me. Um, oh, heavy hitter. Let's get this one out of the way. Um, so yeah, um, in a previous episode, um, when I say the pre- a previous episode, I mean the previous episode. Uh, a little movie called Hellraiser secured its place in the final. One year later, they returned to make, which I would argue is maybe one of the best horror sequels ever made. Um, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, directed by Tony Randall, produced by Christopher Figg uh, and David Barron, screenplay by Peter Atkins and story by Clive Barker. The movie stars Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence and Kenneth Crantham. Um, the synopsis for this one is... Kirsty, uh, I just want to say Kirsty. Um, sorry, <laughs> that's it. Oh, Kirsty, we're here again. I, I love doing board pinhead. Board pinhead is my favourite like voice to do out of everyone. Like, board pinhead is like when he appears later on in the in the series. We're just like, oh, we have met here again, Kirsty. You have traded yourself for many lives. I will take you to hell. You will tear us all apart for sights unknown. Um, it's just amazing. I just love board pinhead. Um, but Kirsty is brought to an institute after the death of her family, where an occult obsessive head, <laughs> occult obsessive head resurrects Julia and unleashes the Cenobites once again. Um, some synopsis uh, well some spilling out the synopsis to some facts Clyde Barker had developed uh, elaborate backstories for the Cenobites in his first film though their origins were never explored in this film he wanted to make sure that at the very least the audience understood that the Cenobites were once human and their own vices had led to them becoming demons the element was meant to underline the story of Frank and Julia and their corruption by lust with the latter intended to be the ultimate villain of the series. Pinhead, however, proved much more popular with audiences and thus became the centre point for future sequels. Uh, Dr. Chenard's name was in the script as Dr. Malahide. Uh, Chenard is derived from from Christian Bernard, who performed as the world's first successful heart transplant operation. Uh, New World Cinema greenlit this sequel when the first one was in post-production and director Tony Randall claims that the dark tone of the movie reflected his own mindset on the world at the time. So there we go. Um, Yeah, so we should probably note that this film was included on film critic Roger Ebert's most hated list, which is kind of nice. 
because uh, Roger Ebert <laughs> didn't really like a lot of horror movies. Um, okay, why did I pick Hellraiser 2? Well, out with the opening statement that I said that is maybe one of the best horror sequels of all time. This has the exact reverse, in my opinion, to my issues with Phantasm 2. So Phantasm 2, I said, was a movie that I, you know, I can get behind, but the thing that kind of bums me out about it is that all the things that make it that first movie so powerful, um, the dreamlike qualities, that kind of weird uh, style of making films, the dream, you know, the dreamlike elements, all that are being stripped out. Hellraiser 2 is a movie that leans very much into the things that make Hellraiser a great movie. Um, so not only do we get a bit more of the, the backstory of the Cenobites, which I know annoys some people, doesn't annoy me. I know the timeline doesn't work overall when we expand out further. Not a problem in this movie. Also give us it gives us like a great like Julia really gets a chance to shine as a villain in this uh, in this movie. She was in the previous movie, but there is a a, a whole different confidence that comes out of her performance, which is kind of fucking amazing. Uh, Doctor Chenard is the ultimate villain. Um, Leviathan is just amazing. Uh, you know, is is not only a concept of a, a place to go. I think it's wonderful. I think all those scenes that are shot are amazing. Um, but I I love his de- his development into this weird, creepy, horrible Cenobite that thirsts for full on world power. That's what he's going to have. Um, and Bo always says, and I think it's one of the greatest lines um, in any of the Hellraiser movies, is the bit where he's starting to transfer over and he utters the lines, to think I ever resisted, um, to the, the, the corruption of what he's going through. I think it's beautifully shot. I think Asher Lawrence is about a million times better in this movie. Um, even they managed to bring back Frank, and to see what Frank's hills turned out to be, uh, I think is kind of amazing as well. Uh, Pinhead has some great lines here. I love how they kind of try and pitch Pinhead as a goodie, but he's not really. So they don't fully commit to that, which makes me happy. Other movies have tried that in the past and it infuriates me. I think the score's great as well. Yeah, and it ends in a way which makes me happy as well. It ends in a way where if they wanted to close it out on that, it's closed out on that. If they want to do another sequel, then maybe that sequel will have CD Cenobites and, uh, <laughs> and other things. Cowboy maybe. Ninjas. Cowboy Ninjas in part five. Ooh, love that. Love that movie. Yeah, I just think it's fucking great. Absolutely love it. Um, there's some harrowing scenes in here. The the kind of... The, the mental patient who thinks his arm is crawling with bugs. Um, yeah. Oh, that skin it turns my stomach. So that's, that's when I know they're doing something right. Uh, yeah, just a real... Uh, this, to me, is a powerhouse of 1988... Mark Ball, I'm swinging at you because Ricky Morgan complains that I keep swinging it to him. So, it's <laughs> going to you next. Um, thoughts on Hellbound, Hellraiser 2? Yeah, I, I, I love that Roger Ebert hated this movie because <laughs> this, this almost feels like one that kind of dodged the MPA bullet. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a considerable amount of gore in this, but just the overall tone of this movie is really, really dark. And yeah, it has has some genuinely really disturbing stuff in it. Um, this is a perfect. This really is like one of the most perfect sequels. I think this fits in like right alongside the first one, and they're they're a nice companion to each other. And um, 
I, I feel like part two focuses more, more on the Cenobites, which is what people wanted. Like, mm -hmm. they almost, like, just how the stories play out, kind of, they, they almost feel like they're in opposite order. Like, maybe the first one should come later in the series or be second or something, because it's a lot more about, like, Julia and Frank. And it's, it's kind of like a story that it feels like it takes place in the universe of Hellraiser, but maybe necessarily isn't the first mm -hmm. chapter in it. It's weird. But yeah, part two is amazing. Like, Dr. Chenard is super, super creepy. Um, th th this has incredible practical effects in it. Uh, they, they definitely blew a lot of money building <laughs> creepy puppets and shit. Um, yeah, th th this is like this is a great, great sequel. Um, if you're, it, I'm pretty sure it's on Shutter. If you're a Shutter user, you can watch this right now. Um, yeah, fan fantastic sequel. Phenomenal, swinging that cross to Ricky Morgan. You remember in the uh, in the movie uh, House of a Thousand Corpses when the tourists go through and they take the ride in the Dr. Satan thing, and then the dude jumps out when they're through, and he jumps out and he goes, Dr. Satan! And he falls <laughs> yeah. to his knees. That's the way I was after I saw the first Hellraiser in the theater. I came out, and I was that dude. And I was like, <laughs> perfection, don't touch it, leave it as is, it's a classic, don't mess with it. Then I heard they were making part two, and I was like, oh, man, come on. Well, needless to say, I was absolutely blown away by, by the sequel. I, I think this and you're i'm just saying the same thing you guys are saying they just took what made the first one so great and just up the ante a little bit with it they turned it to 11 and <laughs> up uh, to 11 up to 11 so <laughs> how much further can you go it's nowhere uh it's a it's a great great movie uh there's very few things in it that bother me mm -hmm. just due to the age some of the stop motion stuff you know but other than that this thing is gruesome it's it's gritty um like you said the guy that's sitting there and just ripping his arms up with that straight razor you know to get her to come back you know and then her come up through the match i mean it's just it's incredible it's absolutely incredible and the fact of just like with not to bring up a bunch of rob zombie crap but uh the fact that you end up carrying caring for the cinnabites because they're fighting you know this this new new cinnabite what a weird play on your mind that you actually yeah. go, oh no, you can't kill them, because you know you're already realizing this guy, this guy's bad news, and if they wipe them out, then you're stuck at the mercy of this guy. So it's a great play on the characters that we already been introduced to, giving them a little backstory, showing you their past again, created their own hells. Uh, you, you buy into it and you're invested. This is this is a super solid film, and after this one, I did the same thing don't make another one leave it alone <laughs> but uh you know and that time i was right i think <laughs> yeah, I, th I think i think you're right as well yeah that, that third one is one half of a really 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 good movie and one half of yep. a mtv music video right there's a reason that they released a dvd set of the first one and the second one together <laughs> and not and, and without without the other ones i mean i know they got the boxes and, and stuff now but that kind of says something when you'll group those two together mm -hmm. and say you know those other ones you know, we're just gonna focus on these two so uh, i think they really really go hand in hand you could even say uh, you could even say the second one's a little better than the first one just uh, yeah, saying. Uh, yeah, I think I think um I think the 
Yeah, I think the second one is a better horror movie than the first one. I like some more of the kind of... I like some more of the, the kind of deviancy and tone of the first movie a bit more. But yeah, in any given day, yeah, I can yeah. swing between the two, happily yep. knowing that my choices are great movie and great movie. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, uh, being yep. totally spoiled here. Speaking of great movies, um, I will let you in to a little secret, Ricky Morgan. It had been over 15 years since I'd seen Pumpkinhead. Ah. And my memories of Pumpkinhead were not great. Um, so much so that when we did the Midnight Horror Show and our good buddy uh, Undead used to mention about how much that movie meant to him and he had a personal reason why it meant to him so much. But his love and joy of that movie used to always baffle me because I was like, that was never a great movie. I will tell you right now, I watched it for this run of shows and my opinion of it has completely 180. Um, oh, yeah. So much so that I need that... Um, Scream Factory Blu-ray, like really, really, really bad. Um, well, since we started talking about it, let's get into it. Uh, Pumpkinhead, directed by, of all people, Stan Winston, produced That's by right. Bill Blake. Uh, Stan Winston uh, it was one of the writers, as was Richard C. Weinman and Gary Giannani and uh, Mark Patrick Carducci. The movie stars Lance Henriksen, not bad for a human, um, <laughs> Joe Aquino. That sounds bad, but okay. Uh, and Kerry Remison. The synopsis for Pumpkinhead is after a tragic accident, a man conjures up a towering, vengeful demon called Pumpkinhead to destroy a group of unsuspecting teenagers. Some factoids about this one. Are you ready? Um, the dog actor Mushroom, who played Ed Harley's dog, Gypsy, also played Barney in Gremlins from 1984. Oh, ah. what a career. Um, this is the directorial debut of Stan Winston, obviously known for his special effects, etc, etc. Uh, Lance Henriksen gathered all of the silver dollars himself by visiting several pawn shops. He said that most of them fell through the floorboards of the Haggis Shack, where they may still lie. Well, oh, I don't no. think so. Don't think so anymore. Um, I think if you posted that in IMDb, fans of that movie have tore that fucker apart by now. Uh, Lance Henriksen had a set of dentures made up to give him a more rural look. He also gathered all of his own props and wardrobe, including the WW2, or World War II, pump action shotgun, the cap, his cap that he wore throughout the film, and obviously the, the dollars, which we talked about as well there. Um, Ricky! Lead the charge on Pumpkinhead. It's my favorite monster movie, period. Um, if you exclude Godzilla. <laughs> I'm a creature feature freak. And to me, this one was just magical. Back in the day when I saw it, it was because of the effects and seeing what's going on. The older I get, the more and more I appreciate the folklore of what went into this. The whole story of wishing bad upon somebody really makes you think. I mean, it's taking that and taking it to another extreme. Uh, a creature of vengeance. I mean, in the back of our minds, when you know somebody does us wrong, you always have that. Ooh, I'd like to just get that guy one time. This is taking it to that far extreme, creating a creature of folklore that goes out and and takes care of this problem. And there's nothing you can do to stop it once you have made the commitment. It's gonna happen. And what a incredible idea. Cause I know it's based off of a poem. Um, and even, you know, Danny Bennett, 
hell I mean i mean he's even got a pumpkin head shirt that ought to tell you something because <laughs> he, he's not the biggest horror fan and of course we reviewed it on hell Ming, and it's just one of those movies you you fall in love with because the characters you you're so invested in uh not to mention half those people i think I'll, they live down the road from me but anyways <laughs> uh, you know we talked about that with you know friday five you know that you're like oh i love those characters yeah i'm like yeah they just live down the road right here it's not that big of a deal <laughs> uh but yeah uh the fact that you know lance Henderson loses his son and the impact of that you get these you know uh highfalutin teenage kids that you know are reckless and careless and cause this situation and he just snaps you know so instead of doing the vigilante thing himself he you know sets up for for the damage to be done and the only thing scarier than the fact of you know lance henderson being able to witness when Pumpkinhead is killing these people i mean it's it's like it's his hands it's like he's doing you get a pov where he's seeing the killings and he's feeling the impact of it himself man i mean just what an idea because that's the real torture of the thing Mm -hmm. it's 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 on both sides of it the fact that you're causing harm to somebody you wash your hands of it for this creature to do it but you're still it's almost as bad it is as bad as you doing it yourself and the fact that he goes and tries to right or wrong and you can't stop it it's already happened and holly you know (laughs) if there's anything scarier than pumpkin head in this movie it's that woman man that woman is scary Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always wonder if they just made a sequel instead of doing the Pumpkinhead series. Just follow that woman around for a while. What's her backstory? I'm sure she's killed a few people in her day. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the fact that you get the transformation, you know, as this goes on, th- they're both becoming each other. You know, you're seeing, you know, Pumpkinhead starting to transform into more of Ed Harley and vice versa. And then you get a flamethrower. I mean, come on. How do you top mm. it off? Flamethrower. So, uh, I don't know, man. I absolutely love this movie. It, I, I think it still holds up incredibly well. Great story. Great directing. The effects are just, again, the creature itself of Pumpkinhead is just an incredible work of art. Uh, it's just mind-blowing how effective this thing is. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. And I do have the <laughs> the Shout Factory Blu-ray. Ha! <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, Mark, Mark Ball, lead us on the charge for Pumpkinhead. Uh, I'm really, really glad this ended up on the list because I, I, I've i seen this once or twice before, but it had also been a really long time, like maybe 10 years ago or so. And um, I actually got up a couple of hours early this morning so I could watch this right before we recorded, so it's real fresh in my brain. Uh, this is a fucking masterpiece um this is this is beautifully beautifully directed uh i I can't believe stan winston directed this because like he had worked on lots and lots and lots of movies but i don't know if he'd ever directed anything before this movie yeah this is his first um, yeah this thing is beautifully beautifully shot like the the colors of this movie like imply such a like it's such a, a a setting of of like this just being out in the middle of nowhere and being very rural and um, yeah, it, it's it's insanely creepy. That witch is terrifying. I, I love the the production design and like the set design of her, mm-hmm. her lair where she hangs out, like her cabin. 
Um, there, there's lots of cool stuff going on in there. And the, I, I think third to the most terrifying thing in this movie after uh, obviously Pumpkinhead and the Witch is Lance Henriksen himself. Like, <laughs> I, I almost think you could have made like almost as cool of a movie if you didn't have Pumpkinhead or the Witch in and you just had right. Henriksen going fucking ape shit on these dumb kids and killing them. Like yeah. he, he when when we basically get like our pet cemetery moment in this movie, uh, Lance Henriksen becomes really really scary and he like mm-hmm. really gets to express his acting chops in this, and he he's fantastic. He, he's a criminally underrated actor, and I, I think this is one of his like this is probably his best role, I'd say, and. Yeah, on top of that, this is also like a, a special effects powerhouse. Like it, it almost doesn't get better than this. The, this. This is from the same people that gave us like Aliens and the stuff at Jurassic Park. Like, the, the, if you're even remotely into special effects and practical effects, you need to watch this goddamn movie. Yeah, I think it's. I, I can't remember why it didn't connect with me before. Um... But coming back, yeah, I thought it's the cinematography is awesome for, yeah, and, and direction is awesome from a guy who obviously spent his lot, a lot of time around movies, but never actually directed one before. The um, natural special effects, phenomenal. Uh, I think the casting's great. I agree. Lance Henriksen is. I've always been like the biggest fan of Lance Henriksen, especially when he's playing a villainous role. That's when I'm in my element. Um, like you watch a movie, even like a movie like Hard Target, you know, which is a Van Damme movie, and and Henriksen's hunting humans for sport. Like he is like maybe the most evil evil person that's ever existed on the planet, and he does it with ease. And he's brilliant in this movie. I think the the actual mythology that it sets out about the Pumpkinhead, I think, is great. I buy into it. I believe it. Um, and a lot of movies struggle to do that nowadays, you know, give you some sort of mythology to buy into, some sort of folktale or, you know, something that you can get a bit of purchase on. It, this totally works for me. I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great. Um, and I'm almost ashamed it's taken me 15 years to come back to it, but that won't happen again. This could, this could be very easily something that I could watch every single year moving forward and not get oh, yeah. bored of. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an excellent choice. Now, Pumpkinhead Two is exactly what a sequel should not be. <laughs> oh, right. I was gonna ask if any of the sequels are worth a shit. Uh, from the expectation level, if you didn't see the first one, Part Two may be okay. <laughs> uh, I thought the uh, the newer ones that they kind of went back and did were decent, but still, you're not you're not gonna beat the first one at all. Yeah. So if you're bored, you want to check them out. That's understandable, but don't get too excited about them. How many Damn. are there? How many in total? Uh, three, three or four. Three sequels. Yeah. Me end up in a Russian roulette franchise retrospective on podcasting the stairs. <laughs> so that's that's how I motivate myself to watch movies that I kind of know are going to be bad, as I put it in there, so people have to suffer with me. Um, right, let's swing it to one of my picks. Now this was a late edition. Uh, mostly because me and Ricky got insanely excited about the fact that Mark hadn't seen this movie either. Like a bit too excited to the point where I was like that, maybe we've hyped this up a wee bit too much and maybe Mark's <laughs> going to come back and cause fucking idiots. Uh, this is Black Roses, directed by John Fasano, uh, produced by Cindy Shirley uh, and written by Cindy Sorrell. Uh, or Sorrell. Um, the movie stars Julie Adams, Carmen Apis, um, Peter Car- Car- 
That's Carmine Apiece. Yeah, Carmine Apiece. He's Carmine one of the most me? You want a piece one of the most me? famous one of the most famous rock drummers ever. Yeah, played I with Ozzy, played with Vanilla Fudge, yeah. Blue Murder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. See, see, names in movies are just as difficult for me as names of people that play in bands. Like names in general <laughs> are bad for me, right? Carmine the piece, although that's hey. the greatest thing because you can do. You want a piece of me? A piece of me? And you, you know, when we were off air and you were singing, "If you want my body," he played drums on that too. Did not know Rush that. Me. Instant cred yeah. right now. Ricky Morgan, you got a point, sir. That's Top right. Class. Uh, this stars Peter. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. There should be a fucking vowel between the, the T and the J. That's how you do language. Bonte. Uh, Bonte. Bonte. That's somebody. Uh, Anthony C. Booyah. Booyah! Uh, Booyah! Dave, <laughs> Dave Crichton and Jesse D'Angelo. Um, the synopsis for this one is. Demons hypnotize the general public by posing as a rock and roll bands. Uh, so, synopsis for, uh, sorry, facts for this one, here we go. Only one, which kind of made me a bit sad because I wanted loads. Uh, and the fact is not really about the movie, it's about its release. Which once again made me kind of sad. It says, the VHS home video cassette box had a raised plastic 3D textured pop-up front cover it was released in November 1988 that's yep. the only fact about this movie which feels like it should have a lot more facts about this movie um, I should lead the charge on this one because I picked it but to be honest I sat, I can't even remember what movie I flung off my list now to put this in because I'll, I only wanted to hear Mark's opinion on it so as such we're just going to sit back and listen to Ricky tell Mark why he should have liked it and then Mark tell Ricky back whether he liked it or not. Uh, Ricky, why did we get so excited about Black Roses? I think it's because we both know Mark and we know the type of movies that he likes and this one should have been one that he saw a long time ago. Yes. To put it to put it lightly, there's Trick or Treat and then there's Black Roses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they're almost the same movie but nowhere near the same movie. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually rented this movie because of that 3D art cover you were talking about on the VHS. That's the reason I grabbed it. It's like, look at this. This is cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the big thing that stood out to me was, you know, it starts off with the, the Lizzie Borden song, you know, Me Against the World, which was a big song at the time. So it's like, okay, we got some cred here. And uh, as the movie went on, that cred just kept sliding down its back. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. This movie's still fun. Uh, how did it up on this list? I guess just the fact that we decided Mark hadn't seen it. <laughs> yeah. That's literally it, because I watched it back, and it is fun. Yeah. But th there are some holes in the movie, though, when I was like that. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, and this is where I was like that. I was like, like my memory of the movie is just like, yeah, rock and roll. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then I, I was yeah. like that. I, I get a feeling that Mark's going to be like, yeah, cunts. Thanks for making <laughs> the <me> walk. <laughs> you know, well, well, the idea of it though, still. I mean, if you think about the satanic panic at the time of what oh, we yeah. were teaching our kids about the music, this is literally kids going to see a concert, going home and killing their parents, or sleeping with your stepfather, or any number of weird things going on in this movie based off of going to hear the satanic music so uh it really plays off that idea and again great idea 
maybe not that well executed. There's still some stuff that I actually, actually love about this movie. Uh, the stupidness of them performing at the beginning with oh, the yes. fake faces and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't help it. It just, I love it. I love it. it <laughs> you know, there's no way that, you know, you get the one guy there saying, me against the world, and their mouth don't even open. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a rubber mask on the dude's face. Uh that creature that comes out of that speaker and attacks that guy's dad <laughs> that's got like the the guitar cable as a tail and it's like chomping at his face and you can tell it's just it's just a terrible puppet yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know it's got a charm to it you know it, uh, it does have a charm I'm just I'm concerned that this charm might might need nostalgia um, well, there's, only one way, there's only one way to find out Mark you either really like us now or you really dislike us now? Um, <laughs> so, so we, we don't know where you're going to land with this one. So try and be kind, but give us your overall thoughts about Black Roses. Uh, th- th- this does not belong on this fucking list. Oh no! <laughs> no, no, it does not. No. I like this movie better when it was remade a couple of years later as a movie called Phallus in Wonderland that Dwar put out. <laughs> it's the exact same plot. Yeah. They're still they're still battling the fucking the PMRC and Tipper Gore and all that shit by the time Guar and stuff came but around. Then, in the but then you 90s. could see, but but you can't well, yeah, but then you could see that Guar were heavily influenced by Black Roses. Doesn't that give it some props? That that's possible, and that's actually the the parts of this movie that I like the best is when it it gets to starting to feel a little bit more like a guar show. They they definitely knew a guy who had some leftover special effects from probably other movies that they managed to <laughs> shoehorn into this movie very sort of nonsensically. Um, no, I I didn't hate this movie, but I th- definitely think you guys hyped it up too much. And when you look at it against the rest of this list, th- yeah. this thing should be like not just kicked off; it should be launched out of orbit from this yeah. list. <laughs> I, that's if what you remember, I thought, that's what I thought. <laughs> if you remember the message that I sent you when you were saying you need a copy of the movie, I said, "Be prepared to get blown away by mediocrity." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that, that's that's pretty accurate. There's nothing really in this that stands out as like super horrible. There, there's a few goofy bits, like why yeah. do they roll up in those weird cars at the beginning of it, and that's never really like. Because they're rock like, stars, man. You, they're, you're not going to travel in a Pinto. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so like you of, tell them, fuck them. There's a lot of people in that band to get out of those two tiny little sports cars. They're, they're like clown cars. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Why Why are they playing shows at the school? Is, is that what was going on? <laughs> it was a warm-up show. It was a warm-up show before they go overseas. Remember at the end, he goes overseas, and they're, they supposedly are dead, but it was just a warm-up show. Before they play <laughs> Madison Square Garden. Right, yeah. High schools are the other it, man. Hey, Kiss played high schools back in the day. Yep, Queen yeah, played community true. halls back in the day in Scotland. They played up and down in mm-hmm. small community halls to like some groups of pensioners, um, and then look what happened to them. I just, I just want to talk for a minute about some of these effects because there's a scene where they're playing and it shows some people out in the crowd and they get changed, and there's no words to even describe what they change into. Yeah. <laughs> Because it, it is about the goofiest. It looks like something to be on Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> they just threw some big 80s wigs on them, and they're just <laughs> these terrible puppets, but they just keep on rocking. It's not like, oh my God, I've been changing this thing. They're just like, yeah, rock on, man. <laughs> so 
so so cheesy, so so good. I did, I, as soon as I watched it, as soon as I watched it for this, and like I say, it's been years, it's been years since I've seen it, uh, and I watched it, and um, instantly I was like that, we may have fucked up here. People are going to hate us for putting this on and leaving Serpent of the Rainbow off. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I saw Serpent of the Rainbow recently, so the, the chance to watch Black Roses has, you know, made me happy. But yeah, even when I was watching it back, I was like that. Yeah, my memories of this movie are a lot kinder than watching this movie in 2018. And I've seen it before many times. I can't imagine what a 32-year-old who's never seen this movie before uh, will make of it. I don't think he will like it. And I think I was right. Uh, it's, it's, all- it's better than Trick or Treat. What? I, I think it's not right. Trick or treat. What? Right. I think it's better than Rocktober Blood too. That movie's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. I I disagree with Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat was the, the yeah. It was the start of all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. If you've not seen Trick or Treat in a while, you need to go back and check that one out, and now compare it to Black Roses, and you'll see what we mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, we have only one movie left, believe it or not. We've rocketed through this, dear God. Um, the last one is Lying with uh, Mark. This is a little movie that I think we're all familiar with. This was the very first movie ever covered by podcast under the stairs back in 2013. Dear God. Uh, August 31st, 2013. Child's Play. Directed by Tom Holland. Produced by David Kersher. Uh, screenplay by Don Mancini, John Lafia and Tom Holland. Story by Don Mancini. Starring Catherine Hicks and Chris Sarandon. Synopsis for this one. A single mother gives her son a much sought after doll after his birthday only to discover that it's been possessed by the soul of a serial killer. We've all been there. We've all been there. Uh, <laughs> we all regret it, but you know what you're going to do? If that's what the little bastard wants, that's what you give him. Um, some factoids about this one. Um, Chucky's full name, Charles Lee Ray, is derived from the names of notorious killers Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, and James. I was going to say James Earl Jones, that's not right. James Earl <laughs> Ray. Dear God. That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's not right. Um, this is just not right. Uh, all of Brad Dourif's voiceover work for Chucky was recorded in advance so they could match up Chucky's mouth with the words. Because of this, Dourif rarely ever appeared on set during the doll scenes. Instead, recording his voice would be then played back for Alex Vincent to go by. Also, Brad would act out the scenes with the actors before they filmed said scenes. Um, original writer Don Mancini stated in an interview that the original scripted toy with the audience was a bit longer, making them wonder if... Young Andy was the killer rather than Chucky. This idea was used by Kevin Tenney in Pinocchio's Revenge in 1996, a movie I've never what? heard of before. Does it, have, does it have Sigourney Weaver in it? No, that was the Snow White movie. That was the Snow White. Yeah. I have never seen Pinocchio's Revenge. Yeah, I kind don't... of vaguely remember that coming out. Don't go on a big search for it. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this going to be another Black Rosie's eye? <laughs> be prepared for mediocrity. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> um, the film was released on the on the same date, November 9th, 1988, as the opening scene when Charles Lee Charles Ray, I'm becoming Asian here. Uh, Charles Lee Ray transfers his soul into the body, so people would be freaked out by that. Um, okay, Mark. 
kind of feels like an unnecessary question, but here we go. Uh, why did Charles play make the list? I uh, well, if this was an episode of the the cinema psyops, this this would be a, a childhood cinematic trauma movie. For oh, me nice! I'm pretty sure. Around the time my grandma got cable, parts two and three were running on the USA network a lot, and I caught a good chunk of part two, and I was like six or seven, like way too, like way too fucking young to be watching these movies, and they scared the shit out of me and traumatized me quite, quite a bit. Um, but then about you know twelve, ten years later, however many, like I started getting really into horror movies, so I went back and watched the first one. And it is incredibly well crafted and like almost Hitchcockian in the tension that this thing builds. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies I would love to go back and like see for the first time with people in theaters when this is like a fresh new idea and you don't really know where this movie is going exactly unless you've seen a lot of the advertisement for it or anything. And um, yeah, another movie that like the special effects are mind-blowingly good and hold up really really well by today's standards um like yeah this this child's play is there's no way this couldn't have been on this list this movie and it it spawned i think one of the more solid horror franchises I, i think there's more good entries in the child's play series than a lot of them that like did you know Yep. A lot yeah. more, a lot more entries than this I, one did. So. I, don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Having been someone that had to go through them, there, I, but my, I, I think one's amazing. I think two might be slightly better than one. Um, I think three is okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Braid of Chucky is not a good movie. Seed of Chucky <laughs> is maybe one of the worst movies ever made. Um, <laughs> I can't stress my hatred for that movie so much. Why is Red Man in that fucking movie? Why is Redman in that? Someone explain Redman in that movie to me. Um, but then, you know, you swing it out to um, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, which I think are two great movies. So, yeah, in terms of franchises, it's one of the very few ones that's managed to claw itself back from the abyss. Um, which is why when we were chatting earlier on about, I don't know if we were actually, we weren't actually chatting earlier on, it was uh, another recording I was doing. Where I said that um, the new Puppet Master movie is to the Puppet Master franchise what um, something like uh, Cult of Chucky or Curse of Chucky is to the Child's Play franchise. Think, oh, that um, is fantastic news. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that one. That one was a. If you, if you grew up watching Full Moon movies, you're going to have an absolute fucking ball with it. Um, it will be out by the time this the movie will be out on some sort of release by the time this episode drops but you heard it here second first um, yeah I, I absolutely love Child's Play I think it's brilliant I still think it is a, a master class in how to misdirect an audience into thinking that maybe the kid's behind it all um, and then that reveal of Chucky is just see when he snaps at Catherine Hicks you know you slut you bitch you fucking and starts just going crazy it is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Now, I've heard people say to me, it's a doll, you can punt them with your foot if you want, and that's the end of Chucky. Yes. Yes, this is true. This is very, very, very true. Thanks for spoiling Child's Play. 
Um, you could you could also you also just say you could wake up and Freddy can't get you. That's not the point of these movies. The point of these movies is to put yourself in the the position that you're in. That out of nowhere, this little fucking psychotic doll, which is actually slightly bigger than you think it is in the movie, comes at you with a knife. Good luck with that. No, that it doesn't sleep, so it can get you while you're sleeping. Not only that, it can go anywhere it wants because people don't look at dolls and think killer, right? They're not sitting there going, boyfriend killer, boyfriend killer. You know what I mean? That's that's not in the conversation. I think it's brilliant. I, I think this movie is, is kind of great because when I think of other movies which were using killer dolls about the same time, I'm looking at you dolls, um, I think Child's Play plays it far more serious than dolls and as a result has a better effect. Although dolls is a great movie, so don't get me wrong on that one. Um, yeah, this movie should be cheesy as hell. And it isn't. And it holds up really 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 well it's still just as creepy like the scenes with the uh, young andy um along beside chucky are are yeah like especially when he starts relaying some of what chucky's told him there's just something about that that corruption of innocence it's just kind of it, it makes my skin crawl uh, just a little bit i think it's brilliant i think don mancini is obviously now getting the recognition that he should have got back in the day uh, with his you know his work not only directing these movies but he also directed at least one episode of the Hannibal TV show and he's going to be bringing out the Child's Play TV show which I can't wait for I think that's going to be a ton of fun um, yeah this is just a really really once again very much like uh, a movie like um, like Pumpkinhead or even to an extent a movie like Maniac Cop when things when potential franchisable movies are coming out in late 80s, you kind of almost feel like everything's been done and then you get to see a movie like this and you realise that there's still life left in the horror genre yet. It's one last ditch before things get really fucking cray. Um, Ricky Morgan, Child's Play. Yeah. Uh, going back to what Mark said earlier, I had the same experience as a kid, but it was with Trilogy of Terror. You know, the, oh, the story that the movie will fuck you up. That little creepy yeah. doll thing is terrifying. So that, that was my thing. So the way that, that Mark is scared of of Chucky, that's kind of what I was with this guy. Which I was—I've always said if those two ever met met up, I'm sorry, Chucky get his butt kicked. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I, I this movie really caught everybody off guard. And again, you got Tom Holland, who is great at misdirecting the audience. He's he's really really good at you know again big Hitchcock fan, so he loves to tie that in there and keep you guessing. Not to mention just one of the most approachable people I've ever met. Really, really nice guy. Um, yeah, this movie just shook everybody up. It definitely deserves to be on this list. Uh, the animatronics at, for, for this age that this was coming out was just mind-boggling what they were able to do with this. Um, I always think about the scene, you know, after he's been burned up and, you know, he keeps trying to come back i mean all that stuff is like holy crap this is it's insane and it's still scary at the same time uh just well done um the fact of you're taking the journey with the kid and you're questioning as well well maybe this little kid is the lunatic here you know but yeah. you're kind of seeing things going on too it's just well done uh it set itself apart one of the strongest set of series, just like Mark was saying, you were saying as well, just good, solid entries in, into the whole franchise. And the fact that they can build upon it and even start maybe a new series on TV, that says a lot about how these characters were built and what you can do with them. 
um, again, showing you something you haven't seen before. The the My Buddy doll that you know they were trying to sell for for kids back then. <laughs> this is a direct pull from that and saying, hey, what if one of these things just went a little crazy on you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if Teddy Ruxpin just, you know, you put a, a Ronnie James Dio tape in his back and <laughs> he became a mad lunatic and started killing everybody in your house? That's my own version. Hadn't come out yet. Still working on it. Down <laughs> <laughs> the rainbow in the dark. You know. <laughs> Makes Holy his eyes <laughs> Kind of went a bit too high there. <laughs> I went too high. Oh, I, I just I think this is a a staple of horror, and you know, it, if it was not on this list, we'd be doing it a misjustice because it definitely belongs on here. Phenomenal. Well, gents, I'm that's dope. Oh, re- real quick, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the, the the animatronics and like how far along that had come by the time Child's Play had come out. I think that's when I stopped being afraid of these movies. Is when my mom taped like. Uh, I think it was a show called Movie Magic. It yeah, was on like, yep. the Discovery Channel or something in like the early early nineties. My mom caught one on on the, how they did the special effects for Child's Play. Yeah, I watched that, and she's like, "See, this is how it's done. It's nothing to be nothing to be afraid of. It's 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 all just wires and smoke and mirrors, basically." Yeah. So and, and come yeah. on, we're we're forgetting a big factor here, Brad Dourif. I mean, if you don't have Brad Dourif oh. in this role, I mean, he's amazing. He, he's he's one of my favorite actors period anyways yeah and uh you know and he's uh, just doing he's doing he, all he's doing here is jack nicholson which is kind of right, exactly that's literally yeah. all he's doing he's doing his impression of jack nicholson and it's terrifying yep. chucky's voice is de- like chucky's laugh and menace you know come here you little prick you know what i mean yeah. like, just holy fuck um it, it just, it's terrifying and yeah he's a yep. brad Dourif can't get enough cred from me in terms of being an actor that is grossly unsung you watch him yep. in exorcist 3 and the performance uh, the performance he pulls in there how he does how he never got an award for that is beyond yeah. me as as yep. jaw-dropping jaw-dropping yep. i totally agree that's what hooked me so much and i mean two of my favorite actors in one movie i just yeah. I, too, too bad we're not talking about that movie <laughs> yeah. well rookie next year we're doing the 90s and this is what I, I like you've never come across someone so excited to talk about 90s horror as i am so next year i can't fucking wait the list of movies right it's a shit year for horror that's what everyone says but the list of movies is fucking nuts um and that'll be one yeah. of them maybe the greatest you were you were, you were making you were making the argument the other day because i actually said was there a good top you know was there good 10 horror movies in the 90s and you started to yell them off and i was like oh yeah absolutely oh, yeah, we did we did it on the Midnight Horror Show. We, there was a couple episodes. It was the best of the 90s. And yeah, yeah I was really surprised how much good shit there was. That's what turned me around on it. It's when we went through that and we were like, actually, <laughs> there's quite a lot here. Um, and I can't wait to get to it. Cannot wait to then, get to it. Then I thought of the relic. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, well, well, yeah. There's some bad yeah. ones. Yeah, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying everything's gold. I'm just saying there's, there is some gold in them there hills. Uh, and we just have to go mining for it. Um, so there we go. That's 10 movie reviews. Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Black Roses, and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We are going to take a very short break. When we return it, ladies and gents, we are going to take 10 movies and convert them into two to carry on to the final list. We'll be right back to do that right after this.
This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. And welcome back. So... After our countdown of our 10 movies from 1988, we are left with the unenviable task of taking 10 and making 2. Those two movies will join the already curated list and two movies still to be selected to create 20 movies that will be taken to the round table to create the ultimate top 10 horror movies from the 1980s using the Teapot's special caveat, the Noah's Art Rules. So our 10 movies, gents, are Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, Slugs, Maniac Cop, Child's Play, The Blob, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Black Roses and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Now I will say right now, uh, this is a three horse race for me, right? I have three movies that, if any of these three movies go through, I'm a happy camper. I am not going to be forgiven um, for shouting abuse at you if you try and sway me from those three. I'm just letting you know now, things could get mean and ugly, right? Just putting that out at the start. That being said, we now have the great job of starting to discount some movies. So, like on all the episodes, we will go round, each suggesting one movie we think isn't top five worthy and could probably be removed at this point. When we get down to five movies, one of us, one bold, brave individual, will suggest a movie that we think's Unanimous support would be there for, and that movie, if it has it, will go through, which will leave us with four, and then we will try and whittle down our four to one, uh, which will give us our two, which are going through. Um, I will kick us off first, um, and I will say because I, I kind of know that me and Ricky have love for this movie, which is not healthy. Um, and I feel the need to just remove it from the list now before Mark gets angry. I would suggest Black Roses can come off the list just now. Mark, do you disagree? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Ricky, do you disagree? Nope. Right, so Black Roses is off the list. Sorry. Uh, once again, sorry, Mark. Um, <laughs> Mark, do you want to suggest a movie at this stage? Yeah, since, since we got Black Roses out of the way early, I'll concede that Slugs is in top five. I will not disagree that. Uh, Ricky, you okay with that? I see how y'all do this. Yeah, yeah, that's that would be the next one to go. <gasps> what do you mean you say? I, I removed one of mine. Mark has removed one of his. We're not saying that you have to remove one of yours, Ricky. That's not what we're doing here. That's not how this game is played. Um, I know, but the, the problem now is now the rest of them are all really good. <laughs> now it gets hard. Yeah, yeah, that that is deliberate how this game is played. Then, yeah, that's yeah. I'm not even gonna lie. That's that's exactly why I did it. Um, Ricky, can you be okay. bold and suggest one that could be removed at this stage? That's maybe not top five material. If I am looking at this list and these were on a shelf, which one of these would I not pull off the shelf more often than the others? Yeah, <sighs> would almost be Killer Clowns. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. Killer Clowns isn't in my top five. Mark? Oh, oh You can boy. disagree if you want. Ooh, top five. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you, you okay there, uh, Yeah, yeah, okay. It would probably be six, like, at the lowest. 
Yeah, it, it yeah. was about six, no. seven for me. Um, but I didn't make my top five. Didn't make my top five. Uh, right, uh, which means the swing is back to me. Nice. Um, you're gonna hate me. <laughs> it's gonna be that way for the rest of these, man. <laughs> yeah, you're you're gonna hate me. Um, Because I know that you're more invested with one more than the other, Ricky, I will suggest that Friday the 13th Part 7 can come out just now. Okay. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I figured that would be next. Cool. Mark, what about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that. Doesn't mean I'm happy about it, but... No, no it's, it, it's got some stiff competition. Yeah, this list, let me read the list before I give Mark the final pick here. Um, let me just read this list off and then you see why we're kind of maybe going, uh, we've got Hellbound, uh, Hellraiser Part 2, The Blob, Child's Play, Maniac Cop, Pumpkinhead and Phantasm 2. So, you know, like, this ain't no laughing matter now, this is serious. This is fucking serious, Mark. You better take this fucking serious, Mark. <laughs> um, do you want to okay. suggest one at this stage that can come out? Yes, and I'm going to be real, real logical about this. Spoiler alert, Hellraiser the first is already made yes. it through on a previous show, correct? Yes, yeah, it right. made it through. Hell, Hellraiser 2. Oh, I kind of disagree. I kind of disagree. Uh, Hellraiser 3. Yeah. Uh, Hellraiser 2 is in my top three. I don't, I, I don't know that I agree with that either. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Is there anything that you would recommend just now, then, Ricky? Or do we just do we do we just go and suggest one that can go through right now? What do you think? Not really. <laughs> right, I, I, I'll tell you what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the blob making the final. The reason I'm seeing the blob making the final is it's universally got all love from all three of us. No one mentioned any negatives. It blew Mark's mind, and both me and you raised it as the pinnacle of how you to do how you do a remake. Um, yep. I think it's a great addition to the list. I think it genuinely is, and I'm not just like trying to you know sway my choice through. I genuinely think it's a phenomenal little '80s horror movie. I think it's great. Um, does anyone disagree with that? Is anyone unhappy that the Blob might take one of the final spots? Nope. Cool. What about you, Ricky? <laughs> I'm still looking. <laughs> if you don't agree, uh, we don't have to. We don't have to. We can do what we did on our last recording, Ricky, and basically all put down what our top two are and see where there is consensus, and see if we can remove titles at that stage. Sure. Let's put the blob blob through the blobby. The blo Mr. Blobby. Uh, Mr. Blobby is through. There was an actual character um, from a long-running kind of game show in the UK that used to come on every single Saturday night. Uh, it was called Noel's House Party, and there was a giant... And you, If you don't believe me, Google it. A giant yellow and pink polka-dotted rubber suit-wearing man who played an alien creature called Mr. Blobby, right? And that's not even the worst bit. Mr. Blobby became a bit of a cultural icon in the UK, so much so that there was a song made up about him that went to, I want to say it was Christmas number one. But it was number wow. one in the UK. And the song went, Blobby, oh Mr. Blobby, you're the greatest creature in the world. That went to number one in the UK. And that's why I hate this fucking place. Right? <laughs> that's why America did the right thing by getting rid of us. 
Um, right, so the, the, blo- the blob is through. I'm going to be bold again. I'm going to say Maniac Cop can come off this list right now. Yeah, I think you're right. Ricky? I'm with you. I'm with you. Right, that's Maniac Cop off the list. Because I get the feeling we all love it. That's great. But we never spoke about it as passionately as we did about some of these other ones. Right? That that puts us in the spot exactly where I want it does to be. We now have one definitely through and we have four remaining. The four that are remaining are Phantasm 2, Pumpkinhead, Child's Play and Hellbound Hellraiser 2. <laughs> now, now... I'm just, I'm playing my game here because I think there is a game to play here. I think it's a sensible game and I want to just be upfront and honest with you. I said to you guys that there was three movies that were jostling for position. The Blob was always top of my list, right? That was top of my list. The two that were jostling for position. Originally, I thought this list was easy. I didn't even need to watch the movies. It was The Blob and Hellraiser 2. That was, that to me was a given, right? And then I watched Pumpkinhead and Pumpkinhead is really fucking good. Like really, really, really good. So I'm now in a position that I have a joint second place between Hellraiser 2 and Pumpkinhead. Those are my ideal second picks. If anyone wants to make a case out with those, for one of their other picks, please do it those, now. Those would be mine as well. Mark, I would agree. Oh, my <laughs> oh. my my top my top three are it would be the Blob, Pumpkinhead, and Child's Play. So for me, right. it's it's kind of a toss up between Pumpkinhead and Child's Play. So for this are, second one, right? So are we, we cannot, seen yeah? Are we seeing Phantasm Two can come out of this stage? Right, then? that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, cool. Let's take that out, right? Because now now we're working with easier easier things. We're working with easier. <laughs> we are right. Sure. Sure it is. <laughs> right, I tell you why we're working on easier things, because Mark is the only one going for child's play at the moment. So <laughs> ideally all we need to do is sway Mark to either Pumpkinhead or Hellraiser 2. And we're doing okay. Right? Because then we've removed child's play. Yeah. Uh, right? So that's, that's all that's all we need to do at this stage. And I think we can do that. Right? I think we can do that. I think I know why you're saying Child's Play, and I, I, I'm there with you. I saw Child's Play at an age I shouldn't have. Child's Play 3 was a video, it was considered a video nasty in the UK, although it didn't make the formal list. Um, basically, it got banned. Child's Play 3 was banned in the UK, and Chucky was demonised because of a murder that happened over here. So the, the, the stature of that franchise is, you know, very much with me. And I remember what I felt the first time I watched Child's Play, and I still think it's a movie that holds up really, 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 really well. I will say the special effects in both Hellraiser and Pumpkinhead are better than Child's Play. I think the mythology is better than Pumpkinhead than it is in Child's Play. And I think just the world building in Hellraiser is better in Hellraiser than it is in Child's Play. The only thing I lean into for Child's Play is being a viable one here to be considered as, as a second one is I think the acting is really good. The casting is really good in Child's Play. But... If you disagree with me, Mark, I want you to tell me why you disagree with me. No, you're 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 pretty much right on all those points. Um, although, it, although, well, well, and I was gonna say, I, I I can't, I probably shouldn't make this like a, a sentimental choice, which I, you which totally should though. You totally yeah. should. If if, yeah. if that's what should that be movie sentimental, means to you? should be this be academic. 
Well, to, I know for a fact that there are plenty of people out there who will tell me that Hellraiser 2 is not as good as the first. There's a, like, I know plenty, like, I'm blessed that I have a lot of podcaster friends that will tell me that, you know, Hellraiser 2 is a great sequel. I know plenty of people that don't like the movie. They don't like what it does with it. They don't like how they build it out. Um, recently, the Baz watched it and said he didn't like it anywhere near as much as he liked the first one. He didn't really like the first one. Um, so. You know what I mean? Like, I know I know plenty of people that make that case. The reason I would put I it's my belief that it's a better movie. Um it doesn't it doesn't get rated as high as the original one and all the rest. So I, I lean back on my my kind of sentimental nature. I mean Pumpkinhead is a movie that doesn't really get discussed about that that much at all. Hence why it'd take me years to get get back around to watch it. Um and a lot of that is to do with well, I mean, Ricky said it himself, it's his favourite creature movie. It's not because it is the best creature movie, it's because right. in his mind it's the greatest creature movie ever made. So yeah, you can you can definitely, you should most definitely lean into the sentiment, sentimentality or nostalgic reasons for why movies make your list. So that's, how, that's what informs your, your decision-making process. So if everything I've said is like, yeah, Duncan, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Chelsea plays better than that's what it is to you. If we're, if we're going to do that, we're going to throw back Black Roses back in this thing then. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, get, I get a feeling, I get a feeling that we're going to have more luck getting Chelsea plays through than we are Black Roses, Ricky. If you know what I mean. Between those lines, you know what I mean. Um, I almost kind of feel like we should give it to Pumpkinhead, though. It really kind of feels like the dark horse of fucking swooped into this yeah, thing and I'm like not, destroyed it i'm not disagreeing with you there like my heart says hellraiser 2 should go through because i genuinely think it's one of the greatest sequels to a horror movie ever made that being said i come off a fresh fresh watch of Pumpkinhead, and i think it's great i think it's absolutely great and one thing once again not that i'm once again trying to stack this great list at the end end of year uh well sorry end of um end of uh, decade lists one thing we really are lacking is a super good creature feature, so thus far there hasn't been one really selected. It's mostly been kind of slasher movies and ghost stories and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I think Pumpkinhead is worthy. Um, I think Hellraiser 2 is right, right there with it. Um, but if you said you wanted to go with Pumpkinhead, I know Ricky's leaning towards Pumpkinhead and I've already said Pumpkinhead's a consideration with me and you feel more comfortable going with Pumpkinhead than you would Hellraiser 2 then I see let's just put through Pumpkinhead yeah the, the Pumpkinhead and the Blob I mean that's like two great creature feature like kind of throwback to the you know sci-fi 70s or not mm -hmm. 70s like 50s kind of movies um, I, I feel great about that those two what do you think uh, Ricky <laughs> I think we get a lot of hate mail. Uh. I, think, I think I think most of this series has been full of hate mail, so yeah. I can I can live with it if you guys can live with it. I think we've explained think the, it out well enough. I don't think we're just doing this just as a way to end a conversation. Well, I think the thing we get hung up on is we always look at, it's almost like a popularity contest because right now we're pissing on two of the biggest franchises in horror history yep. by picking these basically standalone flicks. Uh, the Like I said, the, the sequels to Pumpkinhead are... I just wish they wouldn't have happened. But, you know, we're picking some that are lesser known. I mean, some that both of y'all haven't even visited in 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I think that's amazing because that's what these movies should be. It should be like, the you know, the long lost friend. You get to catch up with them and go, man, I forgot how potent this is. Instead of, oh, yes, yeah, the franchise. You got to have Chucky, you know. 
Um, I like throwing the wrench and all that. That being said, I can't believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> I, I, let, let, me put, let me put it this way, Ricky. I feel the same way about Pumpkinhead that I do after me and you recorded for the 70s run. Yeah. And we're looking yeah. at Bob Clark movies. Yeah, and you my, yeah, you opened, you opened my eyes to a movie that I had never seen before. And I was literally blown away by... And we got hate mail for that. People going, yeah. I can't believe you chose that movie. There were so many other movies. And I'm not here to please everyone. I'm here to please <laughs> myself in the list. Um, and, Keep your and, pants on. Yeah. <laughs> and at this stage, at this stage just now, with the movies that we've got, yes, people can... You know, our other guest hosts will most likely write in our chat room after, that's the wrong thing. I would have put through Hellraiser 2. That's what we'll get. I almost guarantee it. Yeah, and, sure. That doesn't bother me. Um, because with every single one of those guest hosts when I've posted in that group chat I've had the same from everyone else we can't please everyone um, all we can do is please them. that's why I like the diversity that's one of the reasons I opted for two guest hosts for, yeah. for the 80s is the environment of the 80s felt too buddy buddy and I felt we were making decisions far too quickly whereas like when you have the three you're going to have some, you're most likely going to have someone that says, eh, maybe that's not mine. And then you have to start thinking about it more. Um, ultimately, of the movies that I had listed down, I walk away with two of the three movies that I wanted, um, mm -hmm. which makes me happy. You're walking away with two of the three movies that you wanted. And yeah. by the sims of things, Mark's walking away with two of the three movies he wanted. How is that, how is that us settling for anything other right. than just really making the best list possible? And if they don't like it, fuck them. <laughs> oh. yeah. And if you're looking for a new show to listen to after you get pissed <laughs> off, go over to... <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I, I feel comfortable with that. I think that's a good conversation. I don't know how well Pumpkinhead will be received by everyone else. Yeah. But then again, I don't know how well received it's, any it's of these a movies are. Yeah, I, th yeah, I really think it is. I think if people rewatch it, I think they'll like it a lot more. Yeah, I think you can say that about both of these, The Blob and Pumpkinhead. We know Child's Play. I mean, yeah. we know Hellraiser, even though it gets a little wanky as it goes along. But mm -hmm. these two are sleepers. So maybe, if anything, people will go and try to prove us wrong and go watch them themselves and go, you know what? Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with these two, if that's what we decide on. Cool. I think... Mark didn't disagree. I think we're on board. I think, ladies and gents, we have an accord. Um, represent 1988 and going to the final list for the round table. We have the Blob and Pumpkin Head. Ooh, it feels good. It feels good. Uh, right. Um, this is the point where I pass things off to my guest hosts for them to pimp their wares. And we'll start with Mark, who is currently on a hiatus from a podcast, but is doing a lot of cool stuff over on Instagram. Mark, tell the people where they can check it out. Uh, yeah, my Instagram, it's at fancy underscore Mark. Uh, I take pictures of toys, largely horror related, and records and comics and all that kind of, all that fun stuff. It's I post that pretty regularly. And, um also all the stuff i'm watching all the stuff i'm working on i usually talk about over there on the facebook so uh add me on those uh the fancy friends yeah kind of on a break right now uh might be an in in indefinite break uh, where there's talks of some new shows getting made um but yeah mostly right now i want you to go follow me on instagram so do it nice. already am dude 
Yeah. <laughs> if Ricky is, Duncan is. Of course, of course. Oh, and you know, I just pulled up his Instagram, and there's two pictures that are up here at the top of it. You know what they are? The blob and pumpkin head. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> as if Mark predicted it. Almost yep. as if he predicted it, like some sort of weird horror Svengali. Um, right, let's swing this to Ricky Morgan. You have a plethora of, um, of podcasts out there. Sweaters? A plethora of podcasts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a plethora of piñatas. Uh, could you please, please uh, let the people know uh, where they can check out everything you're doing? You can check out uh, the Helming Power Hour at Legion Podcast, also on iTunes, all your other machines that play your apps, all your fandangled technology you got out there. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so you got uh, the Helming Power Hour. If you don't know what that is, it's just a crazy show. You need to check it out. Short Bus Cinema as well, finding the worst movies of all time, which Mark Ball came on, and we covered Texas Chainsaw 4. That's a great so, episode. Yeah, so a for a guy movie. to for a guy to beat up black roses, <laughs> but to come on our show and talk about Texas Chainsaw Part Four, then there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a show about bad movies. That's a bad movie. Yes, it is. That was a great show. It's a great, it's a great bad movie though. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, so you need to check those out. Uh, that's me and Johnny Krug. And then besides that, I started my own horror show, which is called House of Wax. That is W H A C K S. Not Vincent Price, dip your finger in wax. <laughs> it's totally different. Um, I'm currently doing horror stuff, and there may be, being the time that we just recorded this, I had a bright idea that Junk Duncan brought up about me recording an episode of Phantasm yeah. and telling telling about all the uh, comparisons between that and another uh, movie about a guy that attacks you in your dreams. I can't think of the name of it right now, but I think he's got like, you know, knives or fingers and stuff like that. But really long um, arms in the first one. Bad practical effect. Really, just for really Mark. long just arms. Just for Mark. Those yeah. fucking arms. You hate them. I fucking hate them. <laughs> hate them. Uh, but yeah, you need to check that out. That's House of Wax. It's a podcast, but you can also go to the YouTube channel and actually do videos where you can see the stuff I'm talking about. So, like in Phantasm, I talk about the old grandma that Michael goes to visit and she looks just like Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> so there's all kinds of stuff like that that you can check out. Uh, I make fun of them, but at the same time, I absolutely love the movies. And I'll tell you why they're important, much like Duncan does. He does a better job, but anyways. Uh, then I just started something because I had a weird fever dream and just decided, hey, I spend two and a half hours in a car every day driving to work. Why not do a show? So I'm basically like doing my own radio show where I cover TV news, movie news, weird stuff that's in the news. I'm covering uh, a movie of the day. Matter of fact, on episode, what would it be? Episode three, I talk about Black Roses because I reviewed it for this show and I talk about it. Uh, I play a lot of tunes. It's got a lot of requests. People call in and you know send me emails and stuff about what they want to hear, so I'll play them. It's just a freelance crazy show brought to you behind the, the wheel of a 2014 blue Chevy Spark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, that's going to be released. Well, it's going to be released uh, way before you hear this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way, way before. Like I, I, I good like maybe a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but that's also on Legion. Everything I do is on Legion. And uh, like I said, iTunes, all those good places where your where your pods are played. Check them all out. Uh, let me know if there's something in particular you want to hear. I just may just pass over it and not do it at all. 
So, <laughs> uh, yep, just check them out. I'm everywhere. Nice, nice. Well, thank you very much to my guests for joining me on this run here. There's only one episode left to go, ladies and gents, before we have that definitive list. I am going to take a very short break. When I come back, I'm closing out the show. I'm doing it right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 156. Summer Teapot's top 10 series looked at 1988 and moving forward representing the year in an unlikely, but I'm going to say kind of interesting event. Do we have this year's tourist trap? Maybe, maybe. And Pumpkinhead, and obviously one of the best horror remakes of all time in the blob. Whole lot of fun coming out of 1988. Next week on the finale the final episode the final episode on the final episode is 1989 I'll be joined by Dern Wilson and Andy Blockley controversial Andy Blockley will be joining us and we will be counting down another 10 movies our final 10 movies of this Summer Teapot's top 10 series we'll be looking at Pet Cemetery, The Burbs Society, Shocker The Church, Dead Cam Tetsuo the Iron Man Santa Sangre, I Madman, and The Fly 2. That is Pet Cemetery, The Burbs, Shocker, Society, The Church, Dead Cam, Tetsuo the Iron Man, Santa Sangre, I Madman, and The Fly 2. So you have another week to get those movies crammed in, and then oh, we will have a final list. We will have a final list of 20 movies, ladies and gents, in a couple of weeks for you to make your decisions ahead of the round. Oh, it's too exciting. Too exciting. Too much stuff going on. A whole lot of nothing and a whole lot of something going on. I'd like to thank my guests, Mark Ball and Ricky Morgan, for spending a bit of time under the stairs and doing some awesome stuff. As a reminder, Ricky Morgan announced a lot of shows that he was doing on this recording, which was done over a month ago now. He has cut back quite a lot on that now, so just make sure you're following Legion Podcast Network, and that way you can keep up to date with what shows Ricky is doing and when they are being put out. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I see check us out on Apple Podcasts. Come across and subscribe to the feed, that way you get the shows as and when they drop access to the entire back catalogue of Teapot's content. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. Ratings, five stars for example, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts we're pushed for new listeners. That's kind of cool. Let's get more people listening to what we're doing over here. Also, while we're at it, leave us a little review. It's your words to new listeners' eyes as a way of selling the show. Tell them what you like about us. What do we do right? Maybe not necessarily what we do wrong, but what do we do right? Believe it or not, you are not wholly unique. People out there have the same... Um, humour as you, they like the same movies as well so you telling them why they should check it out might in fact make them check it out. Also word of mouth, tell your friends tell your colleagues, tell your neighbours tell your loved ones tell your friends, your enemies tell your exes and frenemies. Uh, Tell everyone tell your podcast partner you have, if you have a podcast a podcast partner, you're not a solo guy you usually have a podcast co-host Tell your podcast goes in between takes of recording your shit that you're going to put out. Say, by the way, did you check out that new podcast under the stairs episode? What, you've never heard of them? Go and check them out. Ladies and gents, that is how you do word of 
mouth. The podcast Under the Stairs can also be heard on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Smart Radio, Google Play and the TuneIn app. Visit our website tputzcast.com and you can click the merch tab there or go direct to our merch website, tputzcast.bigcartel.com. Come across there, you can buy posters and enamel pins. So there will be new stuff going up real fucking soon for Basilween. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You can also visit our Facebook pages. We have two. We have a group page, which is a community page where our listeners interact, post movies, trailers, um, memes discussions on what we're doing, polls, all that stuff exists over there. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. We also have a Facebook page where we post live streams, i.e. some Thursday Thursdays, some Instagram content, and the new merch I was talking about will be going over there. That's facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. You can interact with the Baz and the Twin Prongs, the social media section is by going to Instagram and or Twitter, both at tputzcast. Right, I'm going to take my leave of you. Just a reminder, I will be out of town this week, um, so the shows will be dropping as scheduled, but I might not be around on the Facebook to interact that much. I'm going across to America for a nice long, long weekend. I'm going over for five days, spending some time with my buddy Danny Trioxin over in Virginia. Uh, I will be back in the country a week tomorrow. Uh, Baz will be in charge of everything which means when I come back it'll be a burning rubbly mess Uh, but yeah uh, I hope you enjoy the content I'm putting out I look forward to coming back and interacting with you all next week and wherever you are what the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours please take care of yourselves out there this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off Thank you.